Academy Sports and Outdoors has the gifts to make this your most fun Christmas ever. For your favorite brands and gear, download our app, shop online, or go to your local Academy store. See academy.com for details. Super Chat is open. It's a wonderful way to support what we do on this show on a nightly basis. And, of course, if you're brand new here, do us a favor. Give us a thumbs up uh, or a thumbs down, whatever you prefer. Hit that subscribe button. We're trying to hit 20,000 subscribers before New Year's, and we are at, uh, what are we at tonight? 19,418. So help us on out. I am Pam. No, I am Pam. I'm Pam. No, shut up, Dave. I am Pam. I am Pam. Anyways, I could go on forever. And uh, I am Pam. And uh, you know what? We're going to have a good time tonight talking Mothman. Bill Kasoulis is here. Scowling Greg O'Brien is here. Yeah, give us a good scowl for this show. We're about 35 seconds away. Don't forget, you can do a bunch of Christmas shopping at spacedoutradio.com. Go on our store. Grandizer, how you doing down in Mesa? Good to have you here, man. And uh, what else can I tell you? Hey, how about Vegas? Join us in Vegas, May 19th through 21st at the Golden Nugget. You all be there because it's our second annual fan party, and we want all of you to come and join us just like you did last year. That's why it's a second annual, not the first. It's a second. Let's do this thing. Let's warm it up. Let's get our horns up, and let's rock. of central british columbia to you listening around the world this my friends is spaced out radio i am your host dave scott sitting in the captain's chair of sor headquarters we welcome you to tonight's show and our terrestrial affiliates around north america digitally on odyssey radio talk stream live at kpnl all of our archives are free join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. You can follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Tonight's show is brought to you by Chive Charities. Help make the world 10% happier by visiting Chive Charities today. You can find them on our website. We are going to go deep, 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 deep into the urban legend of Mothman tonight with researcher Bill Kusulis. He'll come up momentarily. In hour number three, we're going to head to the swamp. A resident swamp dweller is here for another spooky story. Then... The Tim Bid himself, Tim Senor, is here for the UFO report. Shirky Poo will have the news. Jackie and Bill Kusulas have recently published Bridging the Tragedy based on the 1967 Silver Bridge disaster in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. The reported Mothman phenomena at the time and post-traumatic growth, a psychological phenomena that often occurs after tragedy. Bill's lifelong interest in the paranormal began in the late 70s with the original Project UFO series that aired on Sunday night television. Leading up to 2003, he was introduced to the Mothman Prophecies movie 
and it changed his life. Since then, he has studied nearly all of John Keel's research, as well as the works of similar authors, including Gray Barker and Andy Colvin. In 2016, Bill and Jackie have visited Point Pleasant regularly, that's since then, uh, where they have become friends with several area residents, including the late Carolyn Harris, co-founder of the Mothman Festival. Bill holds a doctorate in psychology with a focus on post-traumatic growth, and I'm going to say, you know, like I said off the bat of the show, there aren't many experts in this field, if any. But Bill would be, I would say, close enough to it when it comes to Mothman. And we're so glad to have Bill back. It's been a couple of years since you were on, Bill, but we are so glad to have you here, man. How you been doing? Very good, Dave. Very good. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing all right, considering the early winter we're having here. And, you know, I mean... I'm dreading having to go put up Christmas lights because now that Remembrance Day, Veterans Day is is now past us, I now have the task because I have a rule. I don't shop for Christmas or do anything prior to Remembrance Day uh, up here, Veterans Day uh, in the south there. Uh, but now I'm going to have to put my Christmas lights up in cold temperatures, and I'm not looking forward to doing that. But the sacrifices we must make. Yeah, I tell you, yeah, I think I was sharing with you a few minutes ago, Dave, and we're in the greater Chicagoland area here, and it was 76 degrees yesterday. The wind chill today was about 20, so big, big swing, and here comes winter here, too. <laughs> My friend, it's been a couple of years since we talked. When it comes to a case like Mothman, how do you find new information 50-plus years 55 years after the fact. I mean, you know, like, what's new that you could report to us? You know, I, I know I'm putting you on the spot right off the bat here, but, you know, how? let's focus on how hard it is, you know, as days go by, it is to find new information. So the legend of Mothman, you know, as, as I'm familiar with it, really took place in the 60s in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. But since that time, I mean, when they had a couple of hundred sightings in that small region, there have been other reports you know, that have come up in different areas of the country, uh, the United States, that is, different areas of the world, you know, different continents as well, too. You do hear reports here and there. There are a lot of people that claim that they see things that they refer to as Mothman. Um, I'm a little skeptical about some of the more recent ones here in our area. But you still hear information, and there are websites that track that stuff on a pretty regular basis. How did you get addicted to this? How did this movie, The Mothman Prophecies, 19 years ago, get you addicted to this topic? You know, and for me, I've been interested in paranormal for a long time. I was introduced to it with really Dungeons and Dragons and heavy metal music back when I was a teenager and really started getting into the fantasy aspect of things way back when I was 15 years old, 40 plus years ago. But when I saw the Mothman Prophecies movie, I'd been kind of a little bit removed away from, you know, daily research or really being too in-depth with the paranormal at that point. But I, I watched the movie and it just really, it got my attention when I found out that the 2002 uh, Mothman Prophecies movie was based in in real events that took place in West Virginia, that got me really interested. And, you know, within a few months, I went out, got uh, John Keel's book of the same name, The Mothman Prophecies. And I think because so many different 
paranormal things occurred during 66 and 67 in West Virginia at that time, that it was a, a really a paranormal smorgasbord. We had UFOs. There were men in black. There were cattle mutilations. Mothman, of course. I mean, just pretty much a, everything you can imagine was taking place in that area. And the way Keel wrote about it and reported about it, it, it just it was just a fascinating, fascinating study. And there's a lot of other information out there about it too. So I just dug into that. And I think addiction is probably a good word to describe it with. It's been a real passion of mine for, for many years now. The addiction that you have on this, considering that you are also a psychologist, I mean, we all get addicted to this field. I'm addicted to it. Anybody who listens to it is addicted to it because I think the land of mystery really takes a toll on our curiosity. Would that be a proper way to describe it from a psychological level? I think any time that the the human mind cannot complete a picture, I mean, let's say there's a stimulus, like we see some type of a some type of anomalous thing. You know, let's take Mothman for instance. This black winged being with these red eyes, or whatever it might be, we we need to try to kind of wrap our head around that and make some sense out of it. Now, I can tell you as I say this. Uh, we have a picture that my wife snapped when we were in Point Pleasant of these two, you know, red lights that are flashing, and it looks like it could be Mothman. And it's a couple of stoplights in Point Pleasant, right down the street from the, where the Mothman Museum is. But it's it's really funny to see it. I think that it's just such a fascinating study, and we like to be able to wrap our heads around things and make sense of stuff that doesn't always make sense to us. The mystery is one of the most important aspects of it. The mystery of Mothman, let's, uh, for people who may not be familiar, they may have heard of Mothman, but may not be familiar with what happened in 1967. Let's take us through a history lesson here, if you don't mind. Absolutely. So in November of 1966, in a little town called Clendenin, West Virginia, which is 50, 60 miles away from Point Pleasant, there were three men that were in a graveyard. They were grave diggers. They were doing their job, and they looked up, and they saw this brown-winged being above them that they described as a like a fly, flying humanoid. Scared them half to death. Um, you know, They told their friends and family about it. And within a couple of days in Point Pleasant, on November the 15th, there was the first reported sighting of Mothman in the Point Pleasant, West Virginia area. So two couples, two young couples in their late teens, Steve and Mary Millette and Roger and Linda Scarberry were out in Roger's 1957 Chevy in an area that's known as the TNT area, just north of Point Pleasant. And it's a, a wooded area. It's Today it's known as also the McClintic Wildlife Preserve, but it's an area that during World War II, munitions were manufactured for the World War II effort. So they have about 100 concrete igloos that they stored TNT in over the years, and it overgrew with all kinds of forest. So it's really kind of a creepy area in the first place. Kids would go back there and park, you know, guys to take their girlfriends out and make out and that kind of a thing. And the Scarberries and Millettes were bored one night and drove up to the TNT area, and the whole idea was to go out and, quote-unquote, chase parkers, you know, scare these kids that were out there. And as they were driving around, the scare came their direction. Instead, they noticed this 
this being that scared them half to death, this this Mothman type being. They they hightailed it out of the TNT area, drove the 11 miles down the highway heading back towards Point Pleasant. Um, and this highway goes right along the Ohio River. And it's a really, really twisty, turny type of a thing. And it's not the kind of thing you want to drive 50 miles an hour on, let alone the 100 miles an hour that they reported to have driven back into Point Pleasant. So they arrived at the sheriff's or the police station and they reported into Deputy Millard Halstead and reported to him that they had seen this thing and they were terrified. And and he knew these kids from the time that they were basically born. He knew them throughout their whole lives and said, these aren't kids that would make something like this up. They were genuinely scared and believed that they saw this really odd phenomenon. They separated the four kids into different rooms and interrogated them. And basically, they came up with the same story. So through cross-examination, they they didn't see these kids deviating at all. So they, they believed that they saw that something. They couldn't really place what it was. But they described it as this black silhouetted being with these red eyes that was able to fly at 100 miles per hour and basically chase them back into town. That was the first reported sighting of Mothman in the Point Pleasant area. But there were between 100 and 200 more sightings that took place of Mothman during the next 13 months in Point Pleasant. This creature, had it ever been seen before in history? Were there other reports maybe going back to the early 1900s, 1800s, or or beyond that? There have been. I mean, and really throughout history, these, uh, these drawings have been found in caves. Cave paintings illustrate winged humanoids. Uh, there have been reports, you know, in Illinois, for instance, during the 1940s of giant flying birds. Uh, one of them was in the Caledonia area, which is outside of Chicago, probably 60 or 70 miles. Uh, Freeport, Illinois, which is another 50 miles west of Chicagoland. And down south in uh, a small town called Alton, Illinois, there was the legend of the Piasaw bird. So those are things that, you know, right here in the state that I live in, in Illinois, that, that there have been reports of these giant winged birds, thunderbirds, what have you. Uh, there also was the Mad Gasser, which was a Mothman-type creature that was sighted in Mattoon, Illinois, I think back in the 1930s or 40s. And then, of course, Spring-Heeled Jack in, in I want to say, in England, uh, a creature which had leapt in single bounds and just the description was very similar to what we've come to know as Mothman over the years. My goodness. And I'll be honest with you, I had no idea. I thought this this uh, creature of doom just appeared at Moth uh, at West Virginia. So I, I'm surprised to find that there is a little, not much, but at least there is a little bit of rich history regarding this sighting. So do you take this sighting as, as uh, a bird or a creature of omen or coincidence it could be both and i can tell you dave that based upon the testimony of people in the point pleasant area such as a gentleman by the name of tom yuri who was mentioned by john keel in the mothman prophecies book he believed that perhaps some of the witnesses were seeing different things he swears unequivocally what he saw was a huge bird that was flying overhead and he didn't describe it as having some of these otherworldly type features like the red eyes and the whole, you know, foreboding sense of doom that a lot of the other people in Point Pleasant experienced. 
during that time. Now, in the way that I've kind of studied it over the years and what I've picked up is that I think Mothman kind of fits a more of a psychological construct and may very well not even be a corporeal or physical being, but more of a spiritual thing or an energy. And, and the way that Keel described it, he has a theory that uh, he called um, the super spectrum, which is basically that we all operate on different frequencies. So let's say that you and I are, are here on planet Earth in 2022, and we're having this conversation right now, but that there could be other spiritual and en- or energetic entities or existences really pretty much coinciding with us. And for anybody who is familiar with H.P. Uh, Lovecraft and his whole mythology, I think the way Keel described things was very similar to the way that Lovecraft did in terms of them all operating at a different, a different frequency, maybe also in the same space, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, this leads to so many different creatures, and it really leads to a real spiritual battle on whether or not you know that there are creatures out there whether it's it's little people whether it's gnomes or or bigfoot or dogman and and the wonderment if they are harbingers of death or harbingers of some sort of demise when they happen. Every time I hear a story like this, Bill, it reminds me of my buddy Mike a couple of years ago who was out hunting in an area around, you know, maybe 35 minutes from where I am right now into the forest. And all of a sudden, he's he was surrounded by voices that sounded like me all around him asking him to come into the forest. And I often wonder, because of that incident that he experienced, and you know, going with the Mothman in a, on a different plane, if there are these spiritual harbingers of, of tragedy and death. And I think that that's a great observation. I, I tend to think that there is. You know, I think that we're on to something here. I think Keel was way ahead of his time, the way that he postulated you know, these things and these different existences maybe being you know parallel worlds parallel realms that type of a thing that my thoughts about the whole mothman energy or however we want to describe that phenomenon is that it really was more of a either an observer like maybe as a fallen angel type of thing or uh, nephilim some type of an entity that was there observing and at worst was neutral i've never seen mothman as an evil entity even though with the red eyes the case can certainly be made that it might be something that's of a darker nature. But if Mothman wanted to harm people, you'd think that it probably has the ability to be able to do so, yet it never really did. And during the whole Mothman flap of 66 and 67, Keel, as well as other people within the communities of Point Pleasant and also Long Island, New York, where Keel also did some of his research during that time, were receiving messages of of really of doom the mothman prophecies themselves in the book a lot of the things that were mentioned were were messages that keel had gotten from what he perceived as otherworldly sources and that talked about the assassination that took place with dr martin luther king and when keel received information about king he tried to contact king's people but wasn't able to do that and obviously king was assassinated as was bobby kennedy um so he received all kinds of information. The one thing he wasn't able to really put his finger on was that when these things were taking place and he was interpreting them as warnings, that it was the bridge that was going to collapse. He never received that information that the bridge was going to collapse. And that really disturbed him because he really wanted to prevent that if at all possible. 
he knew that there that there could be trouble with the bridge. He felt that there was going to be a disaster in the area. He didn't know that it was going to be the bridge. He was very disturbed that he couldn't identify that it was the bridge. He thought that it was going to be a power plant that was exploding. Wow. Wow. Bill Kasulis is our guest tonight on Spaced Out Radio. Bill, before we go any further, talking about Mothman, for those who may be unfamiliar with this creature, we should describe what it looks like. I mean, this thing is terrifying. And Mothman traditionally has been associated with being a black-winged being, about six to seven feet in height, with a wingspan up to about 10 feet. Um, It's able to fly and, and can take off vertically like a helicopter with no sound whatsoever. And with these piercing red eyes, they're said to be hypnotic in nature, that if it catches you with its eyes. It you you'll experience missing time. People who had uh, conjunctivitis or an elevated form of pink eye from being around it, and um, and they received messages that, that things were going to happen in the future, in the near future. That uh, in some instances were foretelling of doom. So never again, never did really cause anybody any physical harm, but certainly psychologically and emotionally. Um, People were pretty disturbed by what they saw. I couldn't imagine seeing red eyes like that. I couldn't imagine. I mean, there's just something nefarious and evil about that. And I'm not trying to make Mothman out to be uh, demonic or evil in any way. But, you know, when you associate red, bright red eyes with this creature, I mean, how can you not think that? It typically is uh, not something to take lightly. No question about it. Oh, very much so. Very much so. Over time, since the 1967 event, Mothman seemed to disappear. Academy Sports and Outdoors has the gifts to make this your most fun Christmas ever. For your favorite brands and gear, download our app, shop online, or go to your local Academy store. See academy.com for details. I just got $100 cash back for having direct deposit this month. I got an extra 100 bucks using BillPay last month. Well, aren't we smart? <laughs> With Keesler Federal's member give back, it pays to be a member. Here from West Virginia for a while, if I'm correct. You know, what happened between 1965 until present day? So when we interviewed people in Point Pleasant for the book that my wife and I produced a few weeks ago. Um, basically, in the conversations that we had with the people locally, and one of them being Jeff Wamsley, who is the curator and owner of the Mothman Museum in Point Pleasant, that he basically states that when the bridge collapsed, Mothman didn't necessarily go away, but the focus in the community was on the lives that were lost and the people who were affected by the bridge collapse. So, here we've had these 13 months worth of concentrated sightings, you know, people having these different visions and coming across this paranormal phenomena. And then all of a sudden you have this very palpable disaster that happened in Point Pleasant where 46 people lost their lives in a very small community. So a huge percentage of people who were in the community who passed away, it affected everybody locally. So the, the general focus within the community went to taking care of the people who were left. So it wasn't necessarily a matter of the Mothman not appearing, but the Mothman wasn't reported and it wasn't front and center any longer. 
Seth Breedlove and the Small Town Monsters film production crew came out with a documentary a couple of years ago called The Mothman Legacy, in which he basically details a number of sightings that took place after 66 and 67, even up through the 2000s. So he, I think, pinpointed about half a dozen different witnesses, and they testified to what they had dealt with after the bridge collapsed, you know, for decades later. So the sightings did happen, just not as concentrated, not as regular, and really they weren't front and center the way they were before the bridge collapsed, if that makes sense. Quickly, as we got about 45 seconds to go before we uh, move forward, you know, I know you've met a lot of people personally who have seen this creature. Have you ever had a sighting? I have never had a sighting of Mothman. I've only had a couple of what I would describe as possibly paranormal experiences. And they did deal with what I felt was a palpable spiritual energy. But I would not say that I had experienced Mothman directly myself. That, that'd be a stretch to say that. Even with all the energy you've put into it. That is, <laughs> that is awesome. Amazing. Well, maybe if I was... If I was up at this hour of the night and later most of the time, then maybe I would see it. But I'm usually in bed at this time, so I'm missing that window. Well, Bill, don't fall asleep yet for our audience because we need you for another 90 minutes here on Spaced Out Radio. Mothman author Bill Kosoulis is here. We're going to get more into the history of Mothman, the sightings allegedly happening today, Indrid Cold, and much more when it comes down to the Mothman prophecy right here on Spaced Out Radio. Stay tuned. We're going to step away for a break and be right back. All right, we're clear. Bill, I'm just going to go check on my little guy right now, Dirty Filth. I'm going to turn this over to you here so we can all enjoy your uh, Mothman drawing. And I'll be right back, guys. Look at that. It's Mothman's part-time job when he's not smashing bridges or making people sick with pink eye. He sells ice cream. Look at Bigfoot. He's a decent fella after all, isn't he? Yeah, he's not actually too bad. Yeah, I can't eat any more ice cream tonight, I tell you. I binged on it and chocolate cake before the interview, and I feel terrible. Yeah. Uh, my wife, a couple days ago, wanted an ice cream cake, so I went to the store and got her an ice cream cake. Between the both of us, we polished that. A Dairy Queen ice cream cake, we polished that sucker off in about a day and a half. and oh. Kind of felt bad about myself, but. Well, I tell I you, riding that, that sugar train, riding that sugar train is just so elusive. It's. It's so much fun in the moment, and then you pay for it afterwards, don't you? I can't call it without my dirty present. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm not a really big ice cream guy or anything, but sometimes ice cream cake just gets me. And next thing I know, up till 3 o'clock in the morning, binged on I, sugar. I hear you. Yeah, my wife went out to, the, to our local Jewel grocery store, and she must have brought home a half a dozen containers of ice cream. So we're eating it every single night and that's not good for the diet and i know it's not good for the health yeah it sure keeps my girlish figure away <laughs> there's that too yeah there's that to think about so I, I don't even know why i decided that mothman would like ice cream i originally originally drew him with deep dish pizza because he was in chicago all the time and i always thought maybe he just really likes deep dish pizza 
And then I drew some cartoon. Go ahead. I was going to say the people of Point Pleasant have opened up a number of different businesses since this whole Mothman thing has taken off. And they have a Mothman ice cream store right down the street from the museum now. I'm going to have to go there one day. I want to see the Mothman statue. It's cool. Me too. It's really cool. That's because, Filth, all you want to do is get a picture squeezing its hiney. Once again, I can't comment without my attorney present, Dave. I know. It's my NDAs. (laughs) Or whatever. I think you hit that right. Non-disclosure, right? I think so. Yep. I'm not a lawyer, so. But he played one on TV. Badoom. All right, we got about three minutes, guys. Uh, Dave's son is not sick. Dave and his son are having a bachelor's weekend this weekend. And uh, and we are uh, uh, hanging on out, doing man things like hockey and maybe going into the forest to look for monsters. Very cool. Yeah, if we could get in there. We'll try to. Do you live right next to a foresty area, Dave? Yeah, there's. Uh, well, actually, about six, seven weeks ago, uh, tomorrow night, we had uh, we four of us had a Sasquatch sighting about a hundred yards no from kidding. us. Yeah, big bugger, wow. big bugger too. About uh, about ten, fifteen feet tall. No, oh, 10, 10 to twelve feet tall. Pardon me, I'm not going to exaggerate. Where did I get fifteen feet from? I don't know, but. Um, um, yeah, four of us saw it. And my one buddy uh, who saw it, Bill, he is a uh, lifelong hunter. He's been a hunting guide, an animal tracker, um, done everything that you can in the forest. And to this day, he he's still struggling with what we saw. Really interesting that you mentioned that because when we talked to Danny Bellamy, who is in all kinds of documentaries, Point Pleasant and Mothman related, he... He talked about how West Virginia is a state of avid hunters. And if Mothman were some type of a physical being, somebody would have shot it by now. Yeah. (sighs) All right. We got about uh, 45 seconds. Thank you, Paramarv and Jenny, for kicking off the Super Chat tonight. It's a wonderful way to support what we do on this show on a nightly basis. So thank you so much. Hi, Sir Grizz. Good to see you. And a reminder to all of you, you can get your Spaced Out Radio swag on our website, spacedoutradio.com. We very much appreciate uh, those of you who do. And if you do get some swag, do us a favor, take a picture so we could, uh, we could see, you know, get a good picture of how you're wearing your SOR gear. And don't forget that coming up, May 19th to 21st, 2023, at the Golden Nugget in Las Vegas, Nevada. It'll be our second annual Las Vegas fan party. Everyone is invited. We're going to do a live six to seven hour YouTube show, and it's going to go great. Here we go. Second half hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. My name is Dave Scott. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We very much appreciate it. 
want to remind you that if you've missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. One of the foremost researchers when it comes to all things Mothman is here tonight. Bill Kosoulis is here, hanging on out, breaking down what is happening and what is new with this legendary creature. Bill is an author with his wife, Jackie, and they have a book that came out recently, Bridging the Tragedy, based upon the collapse of the Silver Bridge in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Bill, welcome back. Thanks, Dave. Good to have you here, man. Very good to good have to be you here. here. I, I want to ask you, because there's so many conspiracies that I'm I'm gonna, just going to be jumping around here over the next little bit, uh, if you don't mind, because there are so many conspiracies that surround this, from from the Kentucky Goblins to to Indrid Cold and and many others. I mean, uh, you know, a good friend uh, of this show, Alan T. Greenfield, and his secret cipher, the UFO knots, that ties in to everything about John Keel and Indrid Cold and everything. I mean, are you surprised that there are so many different leads and paths? for this story to go down outside of just a legendary creature? You know, it is fascinating. And you alluded to uh, Alan Greenfield and uh, in doing so kind of alluded to Hellier as well, the, yes. t- the, the series that was on. And that that's something that's, I think, taken place, or at least that I've become aware of since uh, you and I visited the first time a couple and a half years ago. And so as we watch that and follow that and watch the way that those threads intertwine with the Mothman legend as well, it really is fascinating. I've got to tell you, having been to West Virginia as many times as we have, we've probably been there a dozen times since 2016. That whole area is just steeped in mystery. It's, I mean, the Appalachian Mountains are some of the oldest mountain ranges, if not the oldest mountain range in, in the entire world. So there's just all kinds of areas in there that just have not really been explored that, I mean, in the words, again, of I mentioned Denny Bellamy a few minutes ago from Point Pleasant, there's so many areas that if there were craft, if there were UFOs, if there were mothmen, you know, all these things we're talking about tonight, it'd be a perfect place for them to hide in that Kentucky region, in Ohio, eastern Ohio, in West Virginia. It's just so mysterious. Okay, so let's let's learn a little bit about Indrid Cold here. Now, for a lot of people who may not know who Indrid Cold is, this is some people believe he's a human, some people believe he's an alien, others believe he's a mystic creature like Mothman. How does he tie into this? Indrid Cold was uh, a character that was spoken of in the Mothman prophecies that actually was cited or encountered shortly before the whole Mothman flap really kicked off. So I want to say it was November 2nd that the first sighting of Indrid Cold took place. Uh, Woody Derenberger at the time was an appliance salesman. He had previously worked, I believe, for Union Carbide in one of the plants there uh, in the Ohio Valley area, but was laid off. And so he took a job as an appliance salesman and... um, you know, according to Keel and Gray Barker, he had just 
finished uh, maybe receiving his first commission check as a salesman and was pretty excited about that. He was going to head home that night and basically pay off his most pressing bills and plan to take the family out for dinner and just celebrate a little bit, having found some success in his newfound career when, as he was driving home in his equipment van, all of a sudden he noticed somebody was trying to pass him and they were approaching him pretty rapidly. Well, it wasn't a vehicle or it wasn't a car or a truck that was coming up behind him. It was some type of a flying craft and it kind of hovered above him and a little to his left, it passed him and then landed in the road right ahead of him. And this is in the Parkersburg, West Virginia area, which is about 60 miles away from Point Pleasant. And so what he described was that this craft that landed in front of him looked like it was an old fashioned tea, teapot or tea kettle kind of tilted on its side and it landed in the road and a being came out of this old-fashioned tea kettle spacecraft and basically stood up and this guy had, he was a human being, or at least appeared to be, dark complexion, black hair, slicked back, uh, good-looking guy, according to Mr. Derenberger. And he had his, his hands kind of tucked up under his armpits, so you couldn't really see his hands. And he began communicating with Woody Derenberger telepathically. And he basically tried to reassure him and said, hey, I'm not here to cause you any harm. I'm a, I'm a searcher, basically coming from a country that's much less powerful than yours is. And uh, I'm just here to kind of check things out, basically. And they had this psychic communication or conversation. And within a few minutes, this, this being said, I'm going to leave. And he kind of disconnected psychically from Woody and got back into his craft and took off. And Woody went home to his wife, visibly shaken, uh, didn't play with the kids when he got home. And usually he was a really engaged father, spent all kinds of time with his, his kids and would play with them, but sent them to bed immediately and talked to his wife and was basically mortified and you know, explained the whole situation to her. The next day, he went on the local news television station and basically told everybody within the viewing audience that he had just experienced this spaceman and this being told him that his name was cold. He didn't say his name was Indrid, but he visited several more times to Mr. Derenberger allegedly and told him that his name was Indrid and Woody claimed to have gone on numerous space flights with, with Indrid cold to different planets. He met his family, Indrid's friends, um, Traveled all over the place, even to Woody's home planet, allegedly. And uh, this whole legend grew up about Indrid Cold. Even today, you know, there's still, we're talking about him right now. So 55 years later, still part of the Mothman legend, really pretty intertwined with the story. Now, I can say in the movie, Indrid Cold was ascribed a couple of different things that John Keel didn't ascribe to him in his story. And that is the prophecies that we talked about during the first segment of the show. The prophecies were not delivered by Indrid Cold to John Keel. That came from different sources. But uh, this creature, like you described, could have been human, could have been, could have been a spaceman. Who knows? Maybe he was an alien. Um, could have been some type of an FBI or agent or a spook or what have you. And uh, it really has achieved legendary status. 
It really has, and and it, it continues to grow this day. I mean, it, it's almost like if you say Indrid Cold's name three times in the mirror, he's going to pop up. Many people have claimed that just by talking about him like you and I are right now, that it can actually bring him into your energy field or anything like that. Do you buy those type of legends when it comes to Indrid Cold? You know, I, I let me just add to that a little bit, some of my experience. So I had never really been involved with what I would call paranormal investigation. I've never really been a ghost hunter or anything like that. But my wife invested in a ghost box, and we were in Point Pleasant and the Gallup Police, Ohio area, which is right across the river. And this was about a year and a half ago. And we did a ghost box session in which two of us had blindfolds on, and we had the noise-canceling headphones. And the name Indrid Cold came to us. It came to me three or four different times within like a two-hour ghost box session. And that was just just bizarre. We felt that whatever whatever source we were plugged into was toying with us, really. So I don't know that we were conjuring up Indrid Cold or if it was our imaginations coupled with expectation that was you know bringing this to us. But I, I got that name four times. I mean, it really freaked me out. So the energy of Indrid Cold regarding the Mothman, do you think the two are tied together or it's just sheer coincidence? I don't think it was sheer coincidence because there was just too much paranormal activity and bizarre phenomena that was taking place in the Ohio River Valley during those 13 months. So, I mean, that's really north of where Point Pleasant is, where the injured cold thing took place. But it's still in the Ohio River Valley. It's still on the Ohio River. Parkersburg is a river town. So it's right there in the same region. I, I don't think it was coincidence. You know, I think that if they weren't directly related, there's some type of some type of connection there. Right. Now, do you believe Indrid Cold is an alien, or do you believe that there is something maybe governmental about him? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. My my thought would be that Indrid Cold probably was a human being disguising as some type of a spaceman, I guess that's what I would be inclined to think. I don't want to say belief because I don't have that much conviction when it comes to that whole aspect. I've not been asked that question before, but I think that I would probably lean towards it being some type of a governmental type of an agent, uh, something along those lines. I, I think I would. Right. You know, the whole tie-in, you know, you mentioned earlier uh, there were two series of Hellier, and I think for most of us who were fans of it, we were all hoping that there would be more by Greg and Dana Newkirk and their and their incredible team regarding you know the you know the existence of Pan, the existence of the Kentucky Goblins and aliens alike, and Indrid Cold and everything that kind of ties into the whole Mothman prophecy. You know, I mean. I don't know that central eastern United States part very well, being on the west coast of Canada where I am, but how does Kentucky tie in with West Virginia and the Mothman? Well, they're contiguous. They're states they touch. They're border states. The tri-state area in that region would be Ohio, West Virginia, Kentucky. There's a, a massive cave system underneath Kentucky. I believe it's called the Mammoth Cave System which is where the legend and the lore of these these little people that you talked about in Hellier, the goblins or what have you, that are 
they're from that region. So it's close enough to Point Pleasant, West Virginia, that it's really kind of within the same area. And this is the area that we're talking about where all these strange things have taken place. So, I mean, that's that's the main connection is that they're, it's the same region. They're all in the same area. And very, very foresty, not like the North Woods are where you're at. Not that kind of foresty, but uh, just a mysterious, hilly, mountainous area. It's it's really cool. <laughs> it is. Oh, I, I can I can absolutely believe that in, in just seeing the stories about it, you know, because it's funny. Up until I went to uh, visit friends in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Academy Sports and Outdoors has the gifts to make this your most fun Christmas ever. For your favorite brands and gear, download our app, shop online, or go to your local Academy store. See academy.com for details. Have plans for the outdoors? Make the memories last with Orca coolers and drinkware. Orca coolers are built to be as strong as the adventures you take them on. That's why they have a lifetime warranty while giving you world-class temperature retention. Orca's premium drinkware offers the same high quality, keeping your drinks icy cold or hot for hours. Their tumblers and martini cup are perfect companions for your next outdoor adventure. Go to orcacoolers.com and use promo code 15 for 15% off your order. That's orcacoolers.com, promo code 15. Pennsylvania about I think it was around 2005 2006 I'd never ever traveled to the east coast of the United States in my life and in my mind you know say going from Pittsburgh to New York City or to Philadelphia or to Detroit I mean that's like in my mind on the west coast where everything is so spread out I'm thinking, okay, well, that must be Vancouver to Portland or or Vancouver to San Francisco in time, you know, like 8, 10, 12 hours worth of driving. And I couldn't believe how tight and compact everything is in that area. I I just never really knew. Now, a lot of people will say, well, Jesus, didn't you ever look at a map? Yeah, but I'm Canadian, man. I was studying the Canadian map. So, I mean, the whole idea behind it is, is... Are we dealing with something alien? Uh, Alan Greenfield tends to believe that Mothman does have some sort of alien-type quality to it, you know, and ties it in with the secret cipher of the UFO knots. And I'm wondering if, if uh, you know, we're able to, to tie it into something extraterrestrial. Quite possibly. Because one of the, one of the things that, you know, we talked about a little while ago and is not as well known to the casual Mothman fan, is that there was as much UFO activity in Point Pleasant in 66 and 67 as there was Mothman activity. It was off the charts. And according to my friend Sam Moranto, who is the Illinois MUFON director, that was the biggest historical flap of ufological activity on record was happening in the mid-60s. So there was all kinds of UFO activity that was happening at that point in time. The idea that Mothman could be some type of an alien being is not that great of a leap when we consider that there were all types of craft that were spotted. There were strange lights in the sky that were taking place. People were experiencing all types of phenomena they'd never experienced before or really since then within that region. So it was a really concentrated area for a ton of different things. So it's, it's not it's not a leap at all to think that Mothman's perhaps alien. Yeah, and I'm wondering, is it ultra terrestrial? You know, like Alan says. Uh, I, I'm always just wondering. 
I, I'm always wondering. You know, let's move forward here to the idea of, you know, these days in Indiana and mainly in the Chicago, Illinois area, there allegedly are a number of other Mothman type of creature sightings that have been going on for pretty much the last five to seven years. Uh, what is your stance on this new sighting area in Illinois and Indiana? Uh, it's controversial. Uh, controversial in that there's been a lot of contention in the folks who have researched it closely as to whether or not it's legitimate. Um, let me back up a couple of years before it all started. So in 2011, there was a photograph that was taken of a Native American in Chicago. And in the background, there is some type of an anomalous flying presence. And folks who are of the belief that that was the first appearance of Mothman within the Chicago area have gone on record to state that they believe that that was a picture of some Mothman type being. Now, I mentioned my friend Sam Moranto, who is the director of MUFON in Illinois, and he is not a disbeliever. I mean, he's the MUFON director, so he's certainly interested in anomalous activity in anything that's paranormal in nature. And he worked with a ton of experts, um, bird experts, photography experts, et cetera, et cetera, and determined that this picture was a kite, a Gaelic kite. Now, that was the first area that was pinned as being, in the words of a couple of authors, the nexus of the Chicago Flap or the Lake Michigan Mothman. Um, I, I disagree with that. You know, I think that that was something that took place. Interestingly enough, you know, we referred earlier in the introduction of me that you'd read to a gentleman by the name of Andy Colvin. And Andy has done a ton of different research as far as Mothman is concerned. And he really worked to repopularize John Keel's work. So he went back into Saga, Fate Magazine, all these different historical UFO type publications and found all kinds of John Keel's articles, which had not seen the light of day since they were originally published. He's put them into about 14 or 15 different books, some of which are referred to in the Hellier series, Searching for the String and Flying Saucer to the Center of Your Mind. Andy was on Coast to Coast AM talking about his Mothman research the same night that that photograph was snapped. So it seems to me that he was doing his talk. His message was out there in public consciousness. In Chicagoland, this picture was snapped which became the quote-unquote nexus of the Chicagoland flap, upon which report after report after report came out in 2017. Interestingly enough, 2017 is the 50th anniversary of the Silver Bridge disaster. It was also the, the time that Small Town Monsters released their documentary, The Lake, uh, the Mothman of Point Pleasant, which incidentally is a fantastic production. And Seth Breedlove and his crew put that out and did a wonderful, wonderful job with it. I just love the documentary. But that was out there in public consciousness. Reporting after report after report came out in the Chicagoland area. Some of them from the same IP addresses. Some were delivered to MUFON. Some went to different sources. But the long and short of it is a lot of the different articles that have been written are in a narrative that's very, very similar. Uh, they're a lot more descript than most reports that come to the MUFON databases. And they seem to be almost exercises in creative writing. So 
I think whatever has taken place in Chicago, there's some there's some weirdness aspect to it. I don't think that it's Mothman. I do think there's some stuff that's going on that's beyond description that people haven't been able to really qualify. But I think it's been really more of an effort to be able to to build some careers and to publish some books. Frankly, those are my thoughts. So that you know, what I understand with what you're saying, and and you know we're. We're good friends around here with Lon Strickler, who who has been following up this story. And Lon is, uh, you know, one of the controversial uh, type of people or investigators that many are wondering about regarding this. And I'm not, in my opinion, putting down Lon's credibility or anything like that. Because, I mean, when you've been doing something as long as Lon has, I believe you get a lot of different sources that can help you out with... Uh, trying to find out information. That being said, uh, you know, it is for a lot of people who have, you know, the same kind of wonderment as maybe you do or others are wondering how it is that Lon is continually getting the same, you know, these messages from people claiming that they are having these sightings and other Mothman researchers are not. You know, I, I mean... Could it be that they just know who he is and he's got a very popular website, a very popular run on this with the books and everything? Do you think that maybe that what he is reporting on could be very true? I I think the possibility exists. I do. You know, and I don't want to necessarily throw anybody under the bus. No, Um, yeah, I'm not trying to there. Sorry. Well, no, 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 no. And I I understand that. And I, I work very hard not to try to discredit anybody. So I hope that that's not what I'm conveying. Just the amount of time that I've put into observing what's been reported to have happened in Chicago. Let me tell you this. I wish my wife was here tonight because my wife is a retired USPS postmaster. And there's a report that came in from a processing plant in the post office in the greater O'Hare airport area. And the reports as they were delivered were that a married couple had seen some type of phenomena that had taken place. And I don't know that this came to Lon's website. I'm not sure where it was reported. But she did some background checking on that within the personnel that was at that particular post office. And nobody knew anything about it. In fact, with the 20 plus years that she's had in the Postal Service, she was certain that if something like this had happened, there had been a word that had spread throughout all the security aspects of the post office it would have been delivered. That entire report seems to be completely fabricated. Wow. Well, do you find a lot of fabrication going on because people want their 15 minutes of fame? I think that there are a lot of people that are out there that frankly want to believe. I mean, I got to tell you, when I heard that there was all type of activity being reported in the Chicagoland area, I live 60 miles from Chicago Metro. I was totally fired up about that. I very much wanted to believe something was going on. And I think that people who are interested in this field largely feel the same way. I mean, if there's something that's anomalous that's going on that they've been studying and following for a good portion of their lives, they want to be a part of it. They absolutely want to be a part of it. I'd love to tell you that I've seen you know, various aspects that we're talking about tonight. I just haven't. But I think that sometimes the imagination... And the collective consciousness can lead us to make conclusions based upon suppositions and certain stimulus that we receive. And our mind doesn't like to not complete a picture. I mean, the 
the human brain wants to complete a picture. So if it sees something, it wants to fill in the gaps to make sense of what it is it's seen. And I think if you want to believe that Mothman is there and you want to see Mothman, you might see a couple of red lights that turn out to be stoplights like we did in Point Pleasant. The first thing we think is, is that Mothman? Because we're that interested in it. So I don't think that people are necessarily setting out to fabricate things. I think people are seeing things. I think that the propensity to want to believe and to want to see sometimes leads us to conclusions based upon insufficient evidence. Bill, I'm going to get you to hold on right there a very quick hour number one. In hour number two, we're going to learn more about the Mothman, what it is, what it's all about. When can we expect to see it again? Does it send out birthday cards? We'll take out your questions as well. If you're in one of our chat rooms, Bill Kosoulis, him and his wife Jackie got a great book out called Bridging the Tragedy, all on the Mothman story. Hour two is next. All right, we are clear, and uh, let's say hello and welcome to SOR Chat for the first time, Lexi D, uh, representing Davenport, Iowa. Yep, she, I, I guarantee she has a cornfield. If you live in Iowa, it's almost guaranteed that you you have a cornfield. You have That's it. only 100 miles from me, Dave. That's close to me. I, I, am I right, though? She probably has a cornfield, right? They're all over the place exactly, out here. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Big Texas, how you doing? And Mr. Cowley, welcome back to the show. Oh, Mr. Cowley, dun, 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 loves his spaced out radio. There we go. Thank you, buddy. JSCO, nice to have you here. And uh, Dirty Filth is going to take over here for a couple of minutes. Uh, show us his Mothman painting that's coming along. It looks like we. Uh, it looks like Sasquatch playing a, a saxophone there or something. I don't know, but uh, we'll be right back, guys. We'll be right back. Uh, it's ice cream, but not a saxophone, Dave. <laughs> is Anything that a T and an S you got there? Yes. So what far, that, what does that stand for? Two scoops, because he's got two scoops on each ice cream cone, and he's double fisting the ice cream. There you go. I usually try to do everything, do the characters and stuff at the end, and then everyone's like Dave wondering, is that a saxophone? No, Dave, that's his arm. So do you it have always a picture, looks like a do you have a picture in mind when you start these things, or does it just take upon a life of its own? This is the original idea I had. So it came from that. I just kind of I didn't really know what I was going to draw. I usually don't. I kind of like to do it right off the seat of my pants, but I figured, you know what? Mothman sold ice cream to the the California Nightcrawler and his, and his hot date at the time, because I drew this whole cartoon thing of, do you ever heard of the California Nightcrawler? It just looks like a pair of pants walking. I have not. Okay. Anyways, I'll just pretend you did. So anyways, it basically looks like a pair of pants. And so I drew this cartoon of the night of the night crawler staring at some pants on a clothesline and he goes to steal the pants. But a man in black stops him and says, Hey, those are, those aren't your trousers. You got to put them back. So the night crawler puts them back. And then the man in black takes him to a clothing company called the cryptid clothier. And he tells him, this is where you have to get your clothing. And so the night crawler buys himself a nice pair of pants and he cleans up well. And then he gets a date and then he goes out and, buys 
Mr. and Mrs. Nightcrawler go and buy ice cream and Mothman sells them ice cream. Beautiful. Yeah. That was a mouthful. Beautiful. I still feel that ice cream and cake sitting in my stomach like a rock, man. <laughs> oh boy. You have to get you have to get some tums or something like that. Oh. I'll be paying for it. You know, we're pretty fortunate so far because I'm sitting about six feet away from our lab puppies who are crashed out right now. They're about five months old. And at any minute, I'm concerned they could wake up and, and announce their presence. No sudden movements. Yeah, no kidding. Well, usually I got my one cat here. Blobs usually piled on top of me. But I think they're upset because Mrs. Filth went to her cousin's this weekend. So we're all by ourselves. And so they're just kind of pouting and laying on top of anything that smells like her. They love to do that. They really do. We, at twice since Jackie and I have been together for about 18 years, and twice in our marriage, we've had five cats in our town home. So the place has gotten pretty crowded. We're down to two right now. And we adopted these two puppies four months ago. They were eight pounds each when we first got them. They're 47 and 55 pounds now. They're huge. I wish I had space for a dog, but I, I live in a townhouse too, but I don't have enough room. It's not a very big one. And I've had roommates in the past that would get big dogs and we lived in a small house and they'd never take the dogs for a walk and I just seen how miserable they got. And I can't do that because I like animals too much. But if I had space, yeah. I'd probably have a dog or a Sasquatch or two. My wife is retired from the post office, but we operate four different businesses from our home. So she's super busy and she's raising these dogs. We walk them often, so they're out quite a bit. But the townhome is too small, so we're moving into a home that we've been building. And the closing date is supposed to be the end of this month. So God willing, everything works out timeline-wise. We're into a house with a fenced-in yard here in the next three weeks. Oh, I hope it works out good for you. Oh, thank you. See, if you build a house, can a fresh new house be haunted, I wonder? You know, that's one of the reasons we've lived in a new place. We, when we bought the townhome, it was brand new. And I told Jackie that when we did this, one of the reasons I wanted brand new is because I didn't want to move into a haunted house. So, so I don't know. No ghost is what you're telling me? Uh, we haven't experienced any of them here, not that I'm aware of, no. How you doing, buddy? Still hanging in there. Having fun? Yeah, I'm having a blast. Good stuff. Good stuff. Dave, do you think a new house can be haunted? Oh, yeah. Oh, we yeah. were just talking about the new house that we're building right now, and I'm hoping it's not. Oh, I think ghosts could follow you in or whatever's on the property. I mean... Uh, we could have an entire discussion on that, but like, let's bring that up the next half hour. I got a story for you. Sure. All right. Uh, here we go in uh, five seconds. Thank you to Paramarv and Jenny for the super chats. Here we go with hour two. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio with Dave Scott. Follow Dave on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio and on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show. Hour number two of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Thank you so much 
for hanging on out with us. We really do appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call Earth. Special happy birthday to our good friend of this show, Heather, who is in our chat room tonight. Happy birthday to you, my friend. I hope you have a great, great birthday. And we want to say hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Lamiatius. Lemiacious is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on talking about Mothman tonight. One of the co-authors of a brand new book called Bridging the Tragedy is Bill Kosoulis. His wife, Jackie, could not make it tonight, but we're glad she is here in spirit. Bill, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We very much appreciate you coming on in. My pleasure, Dave. Thank you. We have gone down so many directions with this whole Mothman story. Do you believe that the creature is still out there? I do. I do. I, I think whatever energy this Mothman thing is, I think it still exists. And and uh, one of the things that Keel talked about in his writings about Mothman is that he believed that Mothman was a transmogrification of energy, basically implying that it basically manifests itself two individuals along the lines of their own belief systems and according to their own perceptions. So I think that that's one of the reasons that even, you know, in the Point Pleasant area, Mothman presented sometimes as a giant bird, sometimes as a, just a disembodied voice, or certainly the popular visage, which is of the black winged being with the bright eyes, the red eyes, but that it, it really, it will interact with the percipient, and then appear somewhat differently to each of those different individuals according to the way they see things. Right. Okay. So who is seeing this? Is it just everyday people who are having this experience, or is it people who are investigating? Because obviously when it comes to anything cryptid, we can never predict when or where the sightings are going to happen. However, you know, when they do happen, we all try to rush to those areas to see if we can if we can uh, uh, get some sort of information from it. So I'm thinking back, at least first and foremost, to West Virginia. And during the Mothman prophecies, the people that witnessed... Academy Sports and Outdoors has the gifts to make this your most fun Christmas ever. For your favorite brands and gear, download our app, shop online, or go to your local Academy store. See academy.com for details. Hey there, I'm David Novak. I ran Taco Bell, KFC, and Pizza Hut. And like you, I'm always learning so I can be the best leader I can be. That's why I started How Leaders Lead, the first leader-to-leader podcast with CEOs from Target, Pepsi, and Adobe, and greats like Tom Brady, Jim Nance, and Jack Nicklaus. You'll learn how to win, how to bounce back, and how to lead. 
So listen to How Leaders Lead wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the best podcast on leadership you'll ever listen to. Mothman originally were the grave diggers in Clendenin, and then the kids, the Scarberries and the Millettes in their late teens in the TNT area. And then later, the next day, a lady by the name of Marcella Bennett, who I believe was a, a, a lady in her early 20s, maybe mid-20s, a mom, she witnessed the creature, and she described it somewhat differently than the Scarberries and Millettes did, although she was in the TNT area, at least that, that vicinity, when she witnessed it as well. But I think she saw it as more of a brown, shambling-type being rather than this black-winged being with the, the red eyes. So... It's they were just normal everyday type folks. Mary Heyer was the newspaper reporter in Point Pleasant at the time with the Athens, Ohio Messenger. She and John Keel went looking for Mothman. They never did really encounter Mothman, but Mary's niece did. Her name was Connie Carpenter. She was an 18 year old girl who coming home from church on a Sunday encountered Mothman and then had some men in black type experiences after that. I mean, to the point she was so disturbed and so frightened that she would never talk about Mothman at all. Later on uh, in the story, we talked earlier about Tom Urie, who described his encounter as being a giant bird, the biggest bird that he'd ever seen. But you know, as we go through, you know, since that point in time, looking at Seth Breedlove's documentary, The Mothman Legacy, there are folks, Ron Lanham was one, who reported witnessing Mothman, I believe, in the 1980s. And another gentleman uh, who we also met at the Mothman Festival just a couple of months ago, another everyday guy. So, I mean, really, it's appeared to all kinds of folks across different demographics, different types of people, and no specific type of profession or what have you. But also within 66 and 67, there were people who had what they called second sight back then, or what we'd call psychic abilities, who were interpreting, you know, this Mothman creature as well, too. So um, pretty much runs the gamut. I mean, it could be anybody. What makes me think that these people are having true sightings is the majority of the public out there may have heard about the Mothman, but they haven't studied it like people like you or me or many who listen to this type of programming. And yet they are all describing the same thing. These eyewitnesses, they, they may have little hiccups, but those little hiccups, you know, you know, maybe, well, the creature was seven feet tall. And, well, this one was 10 feet tall. You know, they still have the same body style, the same description of wings, the eyes and everything. I mean... I don't understand this. If, if all of these strangers who've never met each other, never knew really what Mothman was, are coming together stating that this is an experience that they have survived. And then maybe that's what's truly happening. You know, maybe they are witnessing the same thing. They're encountering a similar phenomenon that's entirely plausible. I want to ask you this and maybe look into a different direction. I believe that people who see things like the Thunderbird or pterodactyls or dinosaurs still running around, I think that they have this planet has the magic to open up little portals that we could see into and see these creatures 
from a different time, a different era when everything was larger and and bigger and, and stronger than what we have for animals today. Do you think that maybe this is something that could be happening with Mothman that we're seeing into a different dimension? I absolutely do. And, and I think that I know Keel referred to Point Pleasant, at least in the 60s, if not today, if not presently, <clears throat> at least saw it as what he called the window area, where maybe the veil is a little bit thinner between this realm and the next. Or going back to his whole super spectrum philosophy of being at a different frequency, perhaps that radio dial was turned to a certain level, so all of a sudden we can see this stuff manifest where we wouldn't be able to see it otherwise. You know, I like to tell people that aren't too familiar with the whole Point Pleasant flap that if you're familiar with the Skinwalker Ranch phenomenon, that Point Pleasant was very similar to that because you have all kinds of different anomalous paranormal activity that's going on. It's not just one thing. You know, you had the lights in the sky. You had the UFOs. You had poltergeist activity. There were men in black. There were cattle mutilations. All these different things took place in Point Pleasant. So I, I think that at that point in time, at least the veil if we want to call it that, was thinner in that area and allowed some of this stuff to kind of slip through. And I do think that there are other places in the world where that's possible. Along that same thought process, Keel talked about people who had psychic abilities also had more UFO encounters, and they encountered paranormal phenomena more frequently. I can tell you that I don't believe that I have any strong psychic faculty, but my wife does. And we've actually stood right next to each other before and looked into the sky, and she's perceived craft, and I've not seen them. And we're looking at the same space. So I think certain people have the ability to see a little bit more clearly or a little bit deeper into some of these areas than other ones do. But that's all part of the phenomena and the mystery of the phenomena, my friend. I mean, we have that all the time. I, I remember where a friend of mine and I, we were in a group of four, and we also, and two of us, saw pixelation standing beside a tree that was going up the tree about eight, ten feet. The other two could not see it if their life depended on it. And we walk another 20, 30 feet and be damned if we don't get roared at from behind the house, right mm -hmm. where that tree was. I mean, the phenomena works in strange and, and mysterious ways. Can we wrap this up to the phenomena being what the phenomena is, whatever that may be, compared to just an everyday experience of of dimensional travel or dimensional sight. I think there's all kinds of stuff that goes on in the universe and the world around us that we just don't have the ability to quantify. You know, and I do think that some people, like I mentioned before, and like you just stated, where two of you saw it and two of you didn't that we're just kind of tuned into different frequencies and we have different abilities to perceive these things. Just because I can't see it happening doesn't mean it's not happening. Right. If that makes sense. I, I think that makes complete sense. However, when it comes to, uh, you know, investigation and science of it all, we always are, are, you know, burdened with the word proof. And if there is no proof, there is no no photographs, there is no video, there is no multiple eyewitness sightings. I mean, how do we know or take the word of people that this phenomena is still happening in 2022? 
it makes it difficult to triangulate when you don't have that definitive data point and when you can't when everybody's not on the same page and i think that that's one of the reasons why the approach that i take is more on the qualitative side than on the quantitative side because experience is a tangible palpable thing and you may see something and dirty filth may see something and I may be looking at the same thing, but we're all perceiving it just a little bit differently. But if we get enough information from enough individuals and some of the patterns emerge and some of the data sets, and when I say data sets, I don't mean statistics, but I mean more perception across the board, commonalities start coming out, themes start to present themselves. We can come up with different theories to kind of define things. But again, a lot of what we're talking about tonight is beyond the ability to really quantify all that. You know, I, it, it's, it's tricky to even discuss it because I think I know what I want to say, but it's hard to find the words to be able to say it. Uh, we all have different experiences, which kind of help us co-create our perception of whatever is going on that's out there. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun to talk about. It's a lot of fun to investigate, but it's not hard and fast. You have to have an open mind to consider these things. Right. And I think you do need that that open mind that that really goes along with it. You know, the idea behind whatever this creature may be, I mean, do we look at a religious connotation to it that it may be demonic? I think that it could certainly present as demonic and it's been called that by various camps. Um, I don't see the energy that way. Again, I, I go back to what we talked about earlier, and that is that if Mothman was looking to harm people, then it very easily could have done that. Now, if we take that argument and then extrapolate that to the Silver Bridge, if it caused the bridge disaster, then certainly that could mean causing harm. I don't believe that it did. It seems to me that the Mothman energy, whatever it is, is either neutral in nature or somewhat benevolent in warning like we talked about before, foretelling is a harbinger of things that are going to happen. So I, I still I don't see it as demonic. I would I would lean more towards an angelic presence than I would demonic. Very true. Very true. Okay. Let's go back to Point Pleasant here for a moment as we jump backwards for a second. After the Silver Bridge collapse, where there was rumor that Mothman was seen on top of the bridge previous to that. I want to ask you, has Mothman ever been seen back in the uh, Point Pleasant area since then? Yes. Yeah, there have been a number of different television documentaries that have talked about people who have observed a Mothman-type presence since then. I'm trying to think back to which documentary it was, but there were a couple uh, a husband and wife, they were both nurses, and they were returning from their third shift job, and they had seen something near a bridge. And I, th- I want to say this was in the 2010s, so not that long ago at all. They did encounter what they described to be Mothman at that point in time. And then again, uh, going back to that documentary, The Mothman Legacy, that Small Town Monsters put out, I think back in 19 or 20, might have been 20, Um the people who had described Mothman in the West Virginia or Ohio River Valley area, if not Point Pleasant proper, close, close to it. 
people like Ron Lanham and uh, Les Odell was another one who did that. Susan Shepard was also in there. If you know, if you remember Susan Shepard from the Parkersburg area, she was in the Eyes of the Mothman documentary, and she spoke to some of the encounters people had had there since the 60s also. So there have been a number of sightings that have taken place since that point in time in that region as well. I get that. And and has anybody or has anybody ever had multiple experiences of seeing this creature? The, now, I can... I can tell you that in the 60s, in 66 and 7, that Linda Scarberry, who was one of our original witnesses in the TNT area, said that she encountered Mothman, she said, hundreds of times. So she was basically haunted by Mothman for a significant period of her life. Um, She reported that. And I want to say that there is also a couple who was on an episode of Paranormal Witness that had gone to Point Pleasant that went into one of the igloos and did an EVP session and captured something on audio that claims, they claimed that it followed them home to, I believe, Maryland. I think they're from Maryland. And they had returned back to Point Pleasant to kind of exercise this energy away from them to get it out of their lives altogether. So those are a couple instances, Linda Scarberry and then these folks, I don't recall their name but they had claimed to have experienced it a couple, three times. Okay. And were they ever harmed by it? They claimed to have been harmed by it. Linda Scarberry did not. She was afraid of it. Um, But she also made the comment that she felt that it was perhaps lost and forlorn in a couple of her encounters where she had seen it at one point in the winter outside. She felt that it was wrapping its wings around itself in order to try to keep warm. So she didn't describe it as necessarily a, a horrible presence that sometimes she felt somewhat sympathetic towards it. The other folks that I mentioned that were on the paranormal witness episode did claim to have been harmed by it. They're the only ones that I have known of that have claimed to have been harmed by it. Right. I I just don't understand where this creature goes. I mean, we see so many, so many sightings of Bigfoot and Dogman every year. And granted, Bill, they are the popular cryptids of the decade. Sasquatch pretty much for the last 50s plus years. You know, it always makes me wonder where creatures like the Mothman just disappear to for extended lengths of time. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Well, if we talk about it, you know, presenting in Point Pleasant in 66 and 67, and then ostensibly presenting in Chicagoland between 2017 and currently, as has been reported, but then being gone largely from the public consciousness in between those time periods, it does make you wonder. Now, if it's an interdimensional being, perhaps it's just not leaning close to our window, so to speak, and poking through at that point in time. And it's existing on its own energy plane, wherever that might be. I mean, those would be my thoughts that it's just not manifesting here, but that it's existing somewhere else. We're not, we're just not perceiving it or we're not tuned to that frequency at that particular point in time. Okay. So if we, if we look at the, if we look at the idea that we're not tuned into that frequency, what, what is the frequency? What, what does frequency have to do with any of this 
it's the theory that Keel has that I think makes sense to me that there are these infinite senses of reality or spheres of reality where we can be present in the same room with perhaps another energy that we just can't perceive. Kind of like microwaves. You know, we can't see microwaves. We don't see radio waves. We don't, we can't really perceive those, but we have the machinery to be able to pick up that information via computers or radios or televisions or what have you. We can't tune into it at that point in time. I'm not sure if I answered your question or not. Well, have we been able to figure out, let me rephrase the question, if you don't mind, as we got about two and a half minutes to go here. Have we been able to figure out any patterns that would cause Mothman to show up? Historically speaking, if we look at the story of Point Pleasant, there was there was the silver bridge collapse that happened that put an exclamation point on the whole phenomena. So as that transpired the 13 months before that, perhaps if it were something that was building up to be able to explode into the silver bridge collapse, then I suppose we could say that that's the case. I haven't, I haven't seen that duplicate itself anywhere else throughout history though, where it's actually warning about something that's going to happen. That does happen. Okay. All right. So we haven't got any patterns. We don't know if the Chicago sightings are are very truthful. We really don't know of any major reports in the last 55 years. I mean, how do we continue on with this? That's a great question. I mean, it really is. The, I guess the, the popular thing is it's it's a phenomenon that's been embraced really since I'd say that the movie came out in 2002. That's when it got my attention. And the legend has just grown like wildfire since then. And a lot of that, I think, is due to what's happened in Point Pleasant with the way the community has embraced it and built the Mothman Festival and the museum and made it really the, uh, what, what do they call it, the paranormal mecca it's the roswell of the east we have roswell in new mexico we have point pleasant closer to the east coast that's just really popularized it how how does the community feel about that capitalizing off a tragedy you have to be really careful in that and jeff wamsley who runs the mothman museum is very sensitive to to that because it's still a very palpable very real thing that happened to the people in Point Pleasant. In fact, when we did our book, the folks that we talked to said, you can talk about Mothman. You can ask us questions about Mothman. You can ask us questions about the bridge collapse. Don't you dare put them together. So we had to be very sensitive to that um, because we didn't want to offend those people who went through that very real tragedy. So yeah, the, the community has really begun to embrace it, frankly, because it's, it's, it, it's paying their bills now. I mean, literally, Denny Bellamy told us that on Mothman Saturday, which we had a chance to witness for the first time a few weeks ago, $2 million walks up and down that street in a town of 4,000 people. Wow. So there is a, an unbelievable amount of revenue that's been generated. Bill, we'll be uh, right back with you. Bill Kasoulis is our guest tonight. We'll continue talking about Mothman, the prophecy, the legacy, with one of the best researchers on the subject. Bill Kasulis, 
when we return on Space Down Radio right after this. Stay tuned. All right, we are clear. We are clear. Uh, I have. How's to, the little guy doing? He's fast asleep. Fast asleep. Good yeah. for him. I have to laugh at Azul here. Azul asked me, uh, let's see here. Uh, are you single, Dave? Well, I said, hi, Azul. Depends on how much money you make. <laughs> he goes, wow, LOL. Not trying to buy love. Oh, Azul, trust me. I am worth it. I am worth it. There you go. That's a good, healthy ego. <laughs> oh, I was trying hard not to laugh when he was typing that in. And I was just like, oh, my God. Uh, uh, come on, Dave. <clears throat> well, let's see here. What story was I going to tell you at, at the break here? We were talking about something at the last break. We were. We were. You were going to tell me some story of some experience or maybe a sighting that you had somewhere? Oh, yeah. I'm trying to just remember. I can't remember now. I honest. Uh, I honestly uh, just don't remember. I apologize. Should have well, I'm glad you brought it back up again. I forgot we were going to talk about it. Yeah, I, can, can land be haunted? Uh, yeah, it had something to do with haunted land, didn't it? Oh, 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 because we were talking about moving into a new house. Oh, yeah, yeah. And can you bring both oh, yeah. with you? Well, you, you know what, what freaks me out is up here in British Columbia, where everybody heard of the serial killer uh, Robert Picton, the pig farmer. The but. Academy Sports and Outdoors has the gifts to make this your most fun Christmas ever. For your favorite brands and gear, download our app, shop online, or go to your local Academy store. See academy.com for details. Hey there, I'm David Novak. I ran Taco Bell, KFC, and Pizza Hut. And like you, I'm always learning so I can be the best leader I can be. That's why I started How Leaders Lead, the first leader-to-leader podcast with CEOs from Adobe, Pepsi, and Home Depot, and greats like Tom Brady, Jim Nance, and Jack Nicklaus. You'll learn how to win, how to bounce back, and how to lead. Listen to this insight from Stanley Druckenmiller, the greatest investor of all time. If you love what you do, first of all, your work ethic's going to be fantastic. You're just going to be better at something if you enjoy it than if you don't enjoy it. And this from Brian Cornell, the CEO of Target. I think you've got to balance short-term with long-term. And you've got to have a conviction that the things you're doing, your investments, your strategy, over time, you're making the right investments and right decisions for your brand and your business. So listen to How Leaders Lead wherever you listen to podcasts. It's the best podcast on leadership you'll ever listen to. Majority of their land where police allege that they that he actually spread pieces of the bodies is now all subdivisions. Oh no. Yeah. Oh no. So, yeah. So it it's um I would suggest that the majority of those houses are are haunted. I I mean, how do you not? I mean, I mean, don't forget this guy 
was so sick and twisted, he was putting the the bodies of his victims through wood chippers. And then, oh, and then spraying the pieces around the property. <laughs> and so eventually when, when the Pictons decided to subdivide their yard, all of those, you know, those houses were in that area are probably eight, $900,000 houses, you know, American money, half a million. Like, you know, that, that reminds me, Dave, and maybe we should talk about this in the next segment a little bit that part of the Mothman prophecies was that there was a serial killer on the loose in Point Pleasant in that area at the time also. And there were actually bodies that were found in a cave in back of the TNT area, like 25, 30 bodies. And it was very, very hush-hush. And the story was that people knew who did it, but he was from a politically connected family, and they kind of let it slide. Wow. Wow. Well, it's just like Vancouver again. Uh, I know people who believe that, uh, you know, you see all every now and again, every summer it seems to happen where these these missing feet, these feet just show up on the shoreline of uh, oh. British Columbia, Washington State, sometimes into Oregon. And, you know, in talking to my journalist reporter friends out there, you know, we all feel like there there is a serial killer out there you know but the police don't want to mention that because they don't want uh the public to go nuts on it because it's a case that's been going on like 25 years oh and, man and, and so they keep announcing well this was allegedly suicide allegedly suicide 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 right oh yeah Spooky. That's that's really scary. Oh yeah, we got about a minute to go here. Minute to go. Yeah, Robert picked it. I was there the day they got. I was uh, there the day they busted his farm. I was still. Wow. I was still work. I I was uh, done my shift at the radio station. And I, it was along my way to go home, and our reporters were out there, and uh, they're like, "Hey, can you bring us a bunch of new batteries? We're going to be here all night long and all, all overnight. Uh, can you bring us batteries? Yeah, I can bring it." So I, I ended up staying there for like a couple of hours, and uh, it was eerie, man. It was eerie. Got to be, got to be. Oh. I want to say a big thank you to Paramarv and Jenny for the super chats tonight. Thank you for the love and support. Thank you to everyone. We're almost at 100 thumbs up. If we can get there, that'll make Davey happy. Here we go. the halfway point of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you with us. My name is Dave Scott. Very much appreciate earning your listening ears. I want to remind you that if you've missed portions of this show or others, check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash Spaced Out Radio. Do old Davey the favor. Hit that subscribe button. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot. Read Shirky Poo's Newswire. Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. 
We have him till the top of the hour. Author, researcher, Bill Kasulis is here. We've been talking Mothman all night long, and we're glad to have you all with us tonight. Bill, thank you so much. Where can people find your and Jackie's book? So our book can be found on Amazon. It's called Bridging the Tragedy, Silver Linings in the Mysterious Ohio River Valley. It's been up since August 31st. We took it to the Mothman Festival with us. Uh, we had some good success with it out there. Uh, it's You can also re- reach us on Facebook at our profiles, Bill Kusilis or Jackie Kusilis. Jackie spelled J-A-C-I. We have a page that's known as Phenomenology Research Professionals on Facebook also and a website of the same name. So the book can be found through Amazon. You can, be, you can order it through us. We do take PayPal, Venmo if you want to instant message us on Facebook. We'd be more than happy to send you an autographed copy of it. Um, thanks for allowing us to be able to speak about it, Dave. Oh, no problem. No problem. How do you continue your research? Who do you talk to next as, I mean, witnesses of this who were, say, at a very young age would now be in their early 60s, you know, people of adult age, say 20 to 30, would be in their 70s and 80s now, maybe into their 90s. The majority of people back then would would have been, uh, would have passed away already. I mean, how do you keep digging how do how does anybody in your position regarding Mothman keep digging? So, you know, interestingly enough, when we came up with the idea to, to do this study that became the book Bridging the Tragedy, what we did is we selectively contacted some people who had experience, you know, in the basically in the Mothman industry. I'll put it that way. So we interviewed 11 people. We interviewed Jeff Wamsley, of course, from the Mothman Museum. He was the youngest of all the people who participated in our study, he was 60 years old. I think he was six when the whole Point Pleasant thing went down, when the bridge collapsed. He was six years old. The oldest person we interviewed is now 80 years old, and he's a guy by the name of Jimmy Wedge. Jimmy was the Point Pleasant basketball coach who lost both his mom and his dad in the Silver Bridge disaster. So we had a range of you know 20 years between the youngest and the oldest people that we interviewed. The only paranormal percipients of the 11 we interviewed were Andy Colvin, who's the the author that I've spoken of here at length tonight, uh, and then somebody who's in some of his books, a childhood friend of his by the name of Harriet, and the both of them really attested to their paranormal experiences and how they grow, have grown and developed as a result of going through those things. But Dave, to answer your question, uh, if we're looking, you know, specifically at what happened in the '60s, you're right. I mean, a lot of those folks that did witness Mothman, they're already gone. So we were really fortunate that we were able to put this together at the time that we did, being that the, the pool, the candidate pool is shrinking all the time. I can tell you that our next project is actually not going to be Mothman-centric. It's going to be more of a matter of people who have grown as a result of experiencing abuse you know, in their childhoods or in their lives, coupled with paranormal phenomena, because that's something that we've learned that tends to manifest frequently that people who have been through extreme abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, psychological abuse, often have paranormal phenomena that manifests as well. That's our next candidate pool. So starting in July, we'll be kicking off the study for that. It won't necessarily be Mothman-centric, but if we find people who have also experienced Mothman phenomena, we'd love to be able to incorporate them into that next project. 
Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, are you always preparing, Bill, for the next major happening? Because here's the thing. I don't know what it was about the screwed up 60s and 70s, but a lot of weirdness happened in those timelines that just doesn't seem to be happening today. And, I mean, maybe it's social media, maybe it's uh, the state of the world, maybe it's pollution, whatever it may be. But are you still, I don't want to use the word confident or hopeful, I think that's wrong, but are you still planning or or preparing for for that next big one, that next, you know, rash of Mothman sightings? You know, if it does, if it does happen, I think I'd like to be right in the middle of it. I'd love to be able to interview the people that are experiencing it and then to be able to help tell their story. I think I would love that opportunity. I absolutely would. Uh, I hadn't really considered necessarily preparing for the next Mothman study because, as I mentioned, um, the next study is going to be something a little different than just that. But I can tell you that putting together what we did for this book uh, has been a life dream of mine. It's been a, it's something that really kind of kicked off back in 2016 when we first visited Point Pleasant and met Carolyn Harris. I wanted to tell her story. I didn't get a chance to tell her story because she passed away a few months later. But we got to tell her story a little bit through the eyes of some people who knew her, and that was wonderful. But to answer your question in a more direct way, what we really want to do with our practice and with our business with phenomenology research professionals is to be able to seek out people who have had extraordinary experiences, ones we can't really define according to our everyday workaday world, and then tell their stories and be able to to give other people hope that you can talk about these things and you can focus on the good things that come out of them instead of taking, you know, holding on to what negative has happened to you and, and then making that the defining act that took place in your life. The goal is to help people grow beyond those experiences. Tell that story. For you, looking at this psychologically speaking, how did this Mothman creature affect not only the eyewitnesses, but the entire town of Point Pleasant? So what we did, Dave, is we set out to investigate a phenomenon that's relatively new in psychology, and it's called post-traumatic growth. So on the surface, it sounds like the opposite of post-traumatic stress disorder, and it kind of is in a certain way, but it's a matter of looking at, we experienced trauma, you know, the bridge disaster certainly was traumatic for the town. Seeing this creature could be traumatic, could be perceived as the same thing, but how did these people grow as a result of going through that? So what we did it designed a series of questions that we asked each one of the participants, and then we received their answers. And then through scientific analysis, we're able to take a look at a process that's known as coding, wherein you take statements from everybody's interview and you pull out meaning units from each one of the statements, and then you classify those, and then you filter them into larger categories, and then ultimately come up with what we call dimensions of post-traumatic growth. And I can tell you, I've got a copy of the, the book right here. You probably won't be able to see it really well, but that's the book itself. I'm going to flip to the diagram that illustrates the different dimensions that we found, just a handful of them. And one of them was appreciation for life. I mean, granted, when you go through maybe a near-death experience or you see this creature you've not been able to describe in terms of you know any tangible experience you've had in your life before, you might think you're going to lose your life. And here these people have more of an appreciation for their life. Gratitude was another dimension of post-traumatic growth that, that took place. 
from you know going through the bridge disaster and seeing these different anomalous things. Uh, perseverance was another one. You know, certainly from the bridge disaster. How do you how do you grow in your life after you lost both your parents in the bridge disaster? Jimmy Wedge told us how he did, and that was phenomenal. So there are all kinds of you know really good things that came as a result of experiencing these different things. Our goal was to be able to help those people tell that story and then give other people hope that when they go through something that's traumatic, that they can grow from from that as well. And I think that's great. I mean, the fact that people are still seeking and searching more, but has that area become a hot spot now for other types of phenomena, whether it's UFOs, whether it's cryptids, other other cryptids or paranormal adventures? Well, again, it seems that Point Pleasant has become the Roswell of the East. So it's certainly a commercial Mecca. I mean, it's still a small town. It's still very traditional. I mean, like Denny Bellamy, the, the guy we've talked about a few times already tonight, talks about you can take the cars and put cars that are 1950s and 60s in front of the stores that are there, and you're right back in the 50s and 60s because that whole area hasn't really developed in a commercial sense the way we would look at like a strip mall type of an existence in a, in a bigger town. But what has happened there is that stores like the Mothman Museum and some of the Wamsley family businesses have really given other people in the community the ability to open their own businesses and to be able to thrive there in a community that was economically devastated by the bridge collapse. When the bridge went down in 67, it was gone for two years. And that was really the big conduit in the United States from the east to the west. So traffic was stopped and they couldn't go downtown like that major highway did before. So all these 18 wheelers and commuters no longer did business in Point Pleasant and the, the community just was devastated economically. The Mothman phenomenon has brought the community of Point Pleasant back to the point that it's it's thriving again, which is really cool. So that aspect of things has changed for the positive, no question. Yeah, I mean, hey, I have no problem with the town using <sighs> using that you know, as carefully as they can, you know, to try and, you know, profit. It's like my community, this area where I live is so haunted from the gold rush uh, back in the 1800s. I'm surprised that nobody has ever really jumped on the idea of creating more paranormal type tourism because it would be phenomenal for this area. You know, but mm -hmm. the, the old timers here, they don't want to talk that, you know, they don't want people saying, oh, those guys are nuts over there. They believe in ghosts. You know, I mean, it, it's ridiculous at points, but I mean, you have to look at Roswell. You have to look at Point Pleasant to see the money that they that they have coming in for celebrating the strangeness. Absolutely. And, and to your point. The way that it was described to us in our interviews by the people who have been in Point Pleasant for their whole lives or most of their lives, they said the same thing. You've got your traditionalist who did not want to be associated with this nonsense because to them, a lot of them, it was absolute nonsense. They didn't believe that it happened at all. So when Jeff Wamsley really wanted to kick things off there, he was met with a lot of local resistance. People wanted nothing to do with it. But gradually, once they saw that this could really turn into an area to generate revenue, to help the tax base, to help us, you know, repair our roads, whatever it might be within the greater Mason County area, the town began to embrace it. So now even if you're not Mothman friendly, you're at least Mothman neutral. What you don't want to do is chase off these people that are spending their money in town. Oh, very true. Very true. 
And, you know, it, it's funny because in my area, I know the, like our region's tourism association is actually trying to figure out a way because I've been contacted about it, trying to figure out a way on how to promote the paranormal and how to get the communities together on the paranormal to try and raise money. I mean, hey, you can only advertise camping, fishing, and hunting so much before you 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 plateau at the amount of people who are showing up. You have to continually bring in something else. And hey, you've seen one waterfall, you've seen most of them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I I think it's it's wonderful for the tourism place, you know, the people overall, do they ever expect in the community that Mothman will come back? Are are there still people in Point Pleasant that are scared or concerned that this creature may return one day? I, I, I think that there are. And I can speak, you know, specifically, I mentioned the name Carolyn Harris, who since has passed on but inspired us you know, for the project that we that we did, which culminated in the book. But we met a guy by the name of Mark Griffith, who's in our book. He's the first interviewee. And he unequivocally tells us, Wathman didn't happen. It was not a real thing. But he was also the guy who on our first trip took us out to the TNT area. And he really seemed to kind of have the heebie-jeebies, like maybe something was hanging out there that shouldn't be. And even though he didn't speak to Mothman as being a real thing and really kind of poo-pooed the whole idea, you could tell he was still a little spooked by it. So I would say, you know, without putting words in Mark's mouth, that he is one of probably a greater portion of Point Pleasant that doesn't come forward and say this. They really don't want Mothman to come back. And in the words of Denny Bellamy again, we don't want Mothman to come back because if he comes back and wants royalties, we're in trouble. Yeah, we're very much in trouble. And, uh, and I, I'm I'm just wondering, you know, or do we, you know, I realize that there is, you know, an entire continent that, that uh, you know, this Mothman could appear to at any time, but it hasn't happened. I mean, do you think, I know you believe, because you already said during the show that you believe that the creature is still out there somewhere, whether it is Chicago or not, you know, but I look at it too, and it makes me wonder, uh how come nothing nefarious has happened in Chicago? And that's one of the points of contention with the whole Chicagoland story as well, too, is that there hasn't been any major disaster that took place, you know, unless we look at COVID, but COVID was universal. That was global. So that, I mean, was something that kind of coincided with part of what was, you know, being reported in that area, but you're right. I mean, besides the fact that it's a violent city, Nothing different has happened there that we're aware of. To go back to what you were talking about earlier in terms of the 60s and contrasted with what we experience here today and why we're not seeing some of the weirdness and the strangeness, and I I guess I would argue that it probably is going on to it, but due to the prevalence of the fact that we all have cell phones in our hands and we're looking at them all the time, nobody's really looking up anymore. Nobody's looking outside of themselves. I think we're very much focused upon different things today than we were back in the sixties. And we have so much stimuli coming at us constantly. It's difficult to even sort out or parse out some of these things probably that are going on around us, but we're distracted. 
Oh, very much so is, uh, uh, that we are. And, you know, but on the flip side, the one thing I will say, and I was talking to uh, a cryptid investigator, uh, Chris Reinhardt, about this just a week ago. And one of the things that we discussed was the idea uh, that that more people due to COVID weren't spending their money going to an airport. They went out and they bought a truck. They bought a travel trailer. And they went out and found wilderness again, probably something that they hadn't done since camping as a child with grandpa or uncle or, or mom and dad. You know what I'm saying? Right. And oh, yeah. I, I think that's the reason why, because that conversation came up regarding why there is an influx in Bigfoot and Dogman sightings right now, uh, or at least well, in 2022. If, and if we want to go to, you know, let's just use the some of the Chicagoland reports. A lot of the people who did talk about the Chicagoland sightings were people who were outside on smoke breaks. <clears throat> so those are some of the folks that are outdoors yet that maybe are looking up and looking around themselves, while the rest of us who don't smoke might be sitting inside looking at an iPad. So now you're blaming uh, the health regulations for, <laughs> for no, <laughs> no more uh, sightings of Mothman. Yeah, I could see uh, that. Well, have plans for the outdoors? Make the memories last with Orca coolers and drinkware. Orca coolers are built to be as strong as the adventures you take them on. That's why they have a lifetime warranty while giving you world-class temperature retention. Orca's premium drinkware offers the same high quality, keeping your drinks icy cold or hot for hours. Their tumblers and martini cup are perfect companions for your next outdoor adventure. Go to orcacoolers.com and use promo code 15 for 15% off your order. That's orcacoolers.com, promo code 15. Liven up your next outdoor party with Orca's Teeny and Barrel Drinkware. They're perfect for pool parties, the beach, or sitting by the fire pit. The Teeny is a stainless steel martini cup that keeps your drink icy cold for hours and comes in a variety of gorgeous colors and designs unique to Orca. The stainless steel barrel tumbler looks like you're drinking out of an oak wood cask. Perfect for whiskey lovers. Go to orcacoolers.com and use promo code 15 for 15% off your order. That's orcacoolers.com, promo code 15. Out- outdoors people are going to see things that people that are indoors aren't going to see. No, very I mean, true. That's just going to happen. Very true. Very true. You know, it, has there been a any sort of, of spell or meditation that has been tried in order to conjure up the Mothman that we see, say, people trying with CE5s and UFOs or with seances to try and get paranormal activity to happen? Oh, I'm positive that that's taking place. I'm positive that it has. I'm not familiar with it. I mean, that's just not something that I'm involved with. But I've got to believe that, like you talk about the prevalence of CE5 and people who are seeking this type of thing, I'm sure there are people who are. Right. Right. You know, because I'm quite surprised that, you know, we don't have people trying to conjure up the Mothman as we do with other spirits or or other entities of UFOs or, you know, hell, even Bloody Mary or the Hat Man for that matter. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised by that, Bill. I think it's going on. I think we just haven't heard about it. I think you kind of have to run in some of those occult circles to be able to to be a part of some of that stuff that's going on or be more conscious of it. I, I, I'm positive it's going on. I'm sure people are trying to summon Mothman, maybe at this particular moment. I'm not trying to. I'm just talking about him and investigating him. But I, I'm sure that that's, I'm sure it's going on. 
All right. Would you try? Would I try? Yeah. I would not. No, because it's just I'm not a I'm not a ritualistic type of a person. I've got some different spiritual beliefs that would prohibit me from wanting to investigate things of that nature in that way. Um I wouldn't do it. No, I would not. With three and a half minutes to go, I want to ask you, what is your fa- favorite part of doing what you do in looking for this creature? I have to tell you, when we first went to Point Pleasant in 2016, it was the Mothman that brought us to town. It was the legend of Mothman and all the things we've talked about tonight. But it might have been an isolated trip. We might have just gone one time and been done with it and chalked it off as a mountain top experience. But when we met Carolyn Harris and we met Mark Griffith, and we just encountered their humanity. And the fact that Carolyn lost her little boy in that bridge disaster and got to, I mean, we just loved this lady. We only knew her for a week, but she seemed like a long lost relative. We returned the next year, built a friendship with Jeff Wamsley. Every time we go back to Point Pleasant, we make more friends. They're not just acquaintances. We keep up with them. They're friends of ours today. The legend of Mothman brought us to town. It's the people of Point Pleasant that keep us coming back. And that's, I mean, not just a tagline. It is in the book. It's on the back of the book. But we've just fallen in love with the community and continuing to research these things and being able to seek out other individuals who have had similar experiences and to be able to tell their story is something I'm really passionate about. Is there still a story to tell? I know you have the new book out, but is there a new story to tell? I'm sure there is. There's there's more to dig into and discover every day. And, and I think that the paranormal exists in, in and around us, all around us. We just have to look for it. We just have to focus on it. Right. Right. And what is your new focus going in now that you and Jackie have the book? Our new focus with the next project is going to be about the phenomenon of post-traumatic growth and about people who have endured abuse and the good that can come from those experiences as we had talked about before, paranormal things can happen when extreme abuse situations happen. We want to help those people tell their story as well. Right. Where can people find your book? Go into it. we got about 90 seconds left with you. Our book is Bridging the Tragedy, Silver Linings in the Ohio River Valley. It's on Amazon. So you can click it on there and order it pretty simply. Or you can contact me, Bill Kusilis, or my wife, Jackie Kusilis, J-E-C-I, over Facebook Messenger. We can we can send you an autograph copy. We have a bunch of them left over from the Mothman Festival. More than happy to do that. We take PayPal, Venmo, things of that nature. So we could do that as well. And uh, gosh, for anybody who does order it, I'd love to talk to you about it. Let me know what you think of it. And when's the next time you'll have Indrid Cold over for dinner? Indrid Cold, um, the next time he comes over for dinner, hopefully we're going to be in our new house. So I'm thinking early 2023. Well, I hope so. I hope that he uh, that he comes on over one day and introduces himself. You've worked hard on this, man. You need Indrid to come on over, light a cigar, both of you, sit on the patio with some cognac, and go over all this weird crap that's been going on the last 55 years, man. And tell us what he really is. Hopefully. Hopefully, Bill Kusulas, always a pleasure. Let, let's make sure that it's not two and a half, three years before you come back on. 
If we could do that. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to have you. Bill Kasoulis, everybody. Once again, you can go to Amazon to get his brand new book, along with his wife, Jackie, Bridging the Tragedy. It's all about the 1967 Silver Bridge disaster in Point Pleasant, leading up to the Mothman. And coming up next in hour number three, we're going to head to the swamp. Our resident swamp dweller has a spooky story for us. Then, little Timmy Senor, the Timbit, is back with the UFO report. We'll be back with more Spaced Out Radio in Hour 3 next. Great job, Bill. Great Thank job. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. Not a problem, buddy. Not a problem. I'll let you get to bed, and we'll talk soon. Hey, let me know if you'd like me to connect you with Jeff Wamsley or Danny Bellamy we'll in Point to. Pleasant. Yeah. Because they'd love to help you. With filth? Uh, just get him in touch with filth. Will do. Yeah, I would love it. Would love it. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that. Of course. Take care, Dave. All right, Bill. Take care. Good night. Have a good night, guys. All right. I am going to step away for a minute, go check on my son, see how he's doing. I'll be right back, guys. <coughs> Hi, Ozzy Rob. How's them ham hocks doing?
Okay, I am back. Welcome, everybody. <clears throat> We've got about uh, 40 seconds. Thank you tonight to Paramarv and Jenny for the super chats. Very much appreciate the love. Hope you all have a good night. Don't forget this weekend, we got Jessica Jones in for Off the Trails. Search and Destroy, how you doing? And uh, Grant Baker is back from his weekend of hunting, going out and seeking Sasquatch and other critters for After Hours with Danielle and Big Texas, Nicholas Shaughnessy. That'll be a good one this weekend as well. Here we go, everyone, with Hour 3. Would you like to connect with us? Head to spacedoutradio.com for all your latest show info. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR. Third and final hour of Spaced Out Radio is now underway. Thank you so much for joining us. We very much appreciate earning your listening ears wherever you are around this beautiful planet we call Earth. Hello to everyone listening in on our terrestrial affiliates around North America, digitally on Odyssey Radio, TalkStream Live, and KPNL. All of our archives are free. Join us at youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio. Do old Davey the favor, hit that subscribe button. The Desert Clam has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. Lemmyacious. Lemmyacious is your password. Use it wisely, space travelers, as the clam sets the password each and every night right here on Spaced Out Radio. Our website is spacedoutradio.com. We have a plethora of features for you. Rock out to Bumblefoot, read Shirky Poo's Newswire, check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. It is time once again, where we head to the swamp, our resident swamp dweller takes us on another creepy journey. Hi, Spaced Out Radio listeners. This is Swamp Dweller. It's time for your nightly dose of spookiness on the show. If you have an interesting encounter or a spooky story that you would like to share, be sure to submit them in at swampdweller.net. You can also find our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash swampdwellerreads. Now, let's chill out, relax, and together, let's enter the swamp. I went on vacation in northern Europe with my grandfather, as he had taken people there before. When I left the States, I did some research on the mythicism of the people. A generous preponderance of it was concerning trolls, and so I did an expansive investigation touching on the topic of trolls. I listened to the podcast of Swamp Dweller and others. Anyway, my grandfather was remarkably kind and when I requested to investigate Troller's Gill, he granted it without equivocation. We had countless fun experiences while in the United Kingdom. Resting in peace, Grandpa. Anyhow, on the route to Apple Treewick, we stopped at Tesco Petrol Station. We convened a couple of quite charming chaps there, one appearing to be somewhere in their mid-thirties, and the other looking somewhere in his sixties. The more youthful fellow had ginger hair and was wearing a corduroy parka. The mature individual possessed a full head of lustrous silver hair and had an extremely crisp Norwegian accent. They inquired where we were going, 
I simply replied, Troller's gill. The more adult one shifted to the ginger and his peepers went wide. The redhead discerned that he was surprised that we would be going there and his eyes went wide. The pair then both stared at me and my grandpa with shock. The old guy said something about a dog beast in German and the other looked to my grandfather and declared, Troller's gill is shamed for the devil dog brute. Anyone who beholds him perishes shortly after. We both presumed he was ribbing, and I understand it seems cliche, but I was honestly sort of creeped out. But I downed a strawberry Miranda in the truck, which set me in a kindred spirit. Once we arrived, I spontaneously sensed an uncomfortable, eerie presence. The presence of an omnipotent presence. We advanced along the path, and I began to overhear some echoing, clanging clamors up ahead. We continued moving along and hiked up to the summit of a large hill. We sat there and let dew soak into the rear of our trousers and snacked on granola, taking occasional swigs of our Red Bull. We took in the view of the Grand Chasm and the fragrance of moist earth, moss, and fungi. We inhaled with contentment. The light, barely lucid fog sent along with the essence of stone and cold rain. The tempestuous, storm clouds refined the sunlight of the setting day star through themselves, tinting the cumulus bodies of deep, brilliant azure. My sagacious grandfather understood and discerned this to be the mark of dusk and clarified to me that it was growing late. We did not possess any watches amidst us, or any device concerning time for that matter. We had left them behind in the truck as a way to get away from those things. We coveted the lavish impact of this sight I had been so eager to experience. We just hunkered down there for a few more moments. We both grasped the truth that we ought to leave shortly, but we both wordlessly chose to relax there for just a few more minutes. My stare trailed up from the crevice up to the elegant sky. As I was mounting up the resolution to indicate that we had to get on our way, my prepubescent brain did not want to leave. As I transcribed this, I realized that it presumably had to do with the pubescence and more of the repugnant entity toying around amidst my subconsciousness. While we irrevocably got up and started preparing to leave, we both heard what sounded like a howling. We both gazed down into the crevice and then overheard a hushed growl much closer to our position. I peered into the mysterious chasm, the surging, writhing umbra taunting me, spurring my hormone-ridden cerebrum. I was frozen in terror. I underwent profound coercion to attend my grandfather, and the moment I did, he cried out in fear. He pointed down to the gorge, and I looked downhill. I didn't detect anything, yet still, the petty child within me was even more panicked as I observed my tough old grandpa getting that frightened, and, not being there for him, nearly simultaneously, my grandpa and I bolted, and at that instant, it seemed like he was running quicker than me. As we ran along the trail, the clinking and clanking accompanied us at a comfortable pace, almost like the beast was tantalizing us. Now... Tears began streaming down my face, seemingly burning my cheeks. I glanced at my grandpa, and he glanced at me. We were both scared out of our wits. We made it to the security of our truck. My soft weeping drastically converted into heavy sobbing. Once I was done with my tearful sitting, 
The flesh below my eyes was stinging so sorely that I felt like a weeping anew. According to my grandfather, there were amazingly extrinsic tear streaks under my eyes, a dull maroon edge on a formless path, the body of the line paler than my skin hue. When I spoke to him regarding our encounter, I inquired about what he was pointing at in the gloomy chasm. He told me these exact words, and I quote, A dark-furred wolf, as heavy as a bear, with tusk like a hog and fangs like a viper. His eyes. His eyes were broad saucers, charged with fire, and his embers stung me. As he uttered this description to me, it was almost idyllic. For some reason, his words had an immeasurable effect on me. I don't have a photogenic memory, but for some reason I can recite the complete bit off the top of my head every single time, with no consideration or hesitation. Like the place had a lasting mark on me. I might go back there someday. I can't grasp what I will do. There were only two material things I took home with me from that monster, but you surely couldn't label it as evidence. A tear in my beloved sweater, now I normally go with the flow, but... For some reason, it made my heart stop. I suddenly broke into a cold sweat. I originally noticed it when I was on the way back. I was tensely fiddling with the finger breath of my attire. It was dark at this point, and I was doing everything I could to hold my gaze away from the ditches on the side of the road. My imagination was waiting for me there, with a knife behind its back. I sensed something burning me, and I tore my hand away from the sweater. I noticed a tear, and I somehow associated it that it was ripped with liven up your next outdoor party with Orca's Teeny and Barrel Drinkware. They're perfect for pool parties, the beach, or sitting by the fire pit. The Teeny is a stainless steel martini cup that keeps your drink icy cold for hours and comes in a variety of gorgeous colors and designs unique to Orca. The stainless steel barrel tumbler looks like you're drinking out of an oak wood cask. Perfect for whiskey lovers. Go to orcacoolers.com and use promo code 15 for 15% off your order. That's orcacoolers.com, promo code 15. Meet Extended Stay America Select Suites, a new place like home with spacious apartment-style suites and full kitchens. With Extended Stay America Select Suites, you get real, simple value. The longer you stay, the more you save. Learn more at esa.com. Teeth. Not hominid teeth, but something sharper. My grandfather didn't discern my pain. It was dark, and he was concentrating on more significant matters like driving. The other item was driven into the sole of my shoe, a rusted black link from a chain. I don't understand the importance of this article, but I believe there is something peculiar concerning it. Thank you, Swamp, for sharing my story if you do. And we say thank you to the Swamp Dweller as well for bringing in another spooky story here on Spaced Out Radio tonight. Swamp Dweller kicks off... Every third hour, Monday through Friday, on Spaced Out Radio. And he's got thousands of free stories that you can check on out. All you got to do is go to his YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Swamp Dweller Reads. Hit subscribe on that channel. Nobody's going to know. They're going to know. It's Tim Bedtime on the UFO Report. Little Timmy Senor is here with the UFO report, and Tim, 
You know, we're seeing a lot of action the last couple of days, all of a sudden, after a pretty slow start to this week of the UFO world. But first, how you doing down there, my friend? Dave, 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 I'm doing well, buddy. Thanks for asking. Uh, and happy 11-11 and happy Veterans Day to everyone celebrating it here in the United States. And thank you to all of our veterans in the audience and to everyone out there that serves their country. Thank you for your service. Takes a special person to do that. Takes a special Not just today, but every day. But yeah, buddy, yeah. You got that right, my friend. You know, there's a lot of uh, UFO stuff going on right now. And, you know, we went pretty hard. I don't know if you heard the show last night uh, or the other night, but we we went off pretty well with Darcy Weir on on NASA's cover-up. And the point that ufology really seems to have a lot of backwards thinking in who and what they are supporting. And, you know, looking at Twitter today, exactly the same thing, man. You know, there was a tweet out there that I responded to, and, I, and uh, you know, it just amazes me sometimes the way people think. I, I'm just going to get this out here because this kind of irked me a little bit earlier. It really did. All right. And yeah. uh, where is it here? So a gentleman called at the underscore astral underscore. Was TTSA a success or failure? Looking at the responses, it is ridiculous how many people called it a success, a huge success, uh, you know, that there was nothing before the TTSA, which is wrong, you know. So I responded, Tim. I said <laughs> I a, you did. a failure from the beginning with a pressless press conference. That's all I put. It's a t-shirt. Yeah. You know, if yeah, here's one, uh, Tommy Zito, super successful was a game changer in my opinion. How, Hmm. what the hell did they Hmm. do? Hmm. They illegally brought out three videos, tagged them with their own, Hmm. with their own. And because Hmm. of that, Elizondo and Mellon nearly lose their their top secret credentials. And eventually else, I mean eventually at how least How else do you monetize this though? How else do you monetize UFOs? Come on. Eventually it leads. Okay. In hockey we had a saying, don't get mad, get even. Take a number. Yeah. What did the US Navy do? They didn't get mad. They got even and took a number. And what did they do? They said, you're not getting any more videos. We got you. Yeah. You got us that time. You yeah. got us. Thanks a lot, us. TTSA. Thanks yeah. a lot, TTSA. Anybody, we're getting nothing. I would love to sit on a panel and debate the To The Stars Academy. I really would. And for people who question my negativity towards the TTSA out there in the universe. I actually have a, a blog that I wrote called 14 reasons why I never supported the to the stars Academy. (laughs) And our good friend of this show, Melinda Leslie 
actually had a message for me from Jim Semivan. And remember, I'd never interviewed a person from the To The Stars Academy when I wrote that. Not even Lou Elizondo. Can I guess that the quote was, don't hate the player, hate the game? No, it was actually a little bit. It was actually a little bit better than that. Just from watching what was going on, reading between the lines, Jim Semivan said my article was about ninety-five percent correct on why the TTSA failed on fourteen of my points. He would know. Yeah. All right. Enough about that, though. You know, I just wish people in the in the field of ufology would would really open their eyes to see what's going on. It's not all doom and gloom. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of good things happening right now. There are. But you can't just show blind faith to something like this. And Tim, that's what's got me concerned about the entire UFO community right now. We're showing a lot of blind faith. And we have been for a while. And I don't think that it's it's very, very healthy for us looking for answers. Yeah. Yeah. It's time for some results and some some facts, some answers. I think we're due some. And we're due this report, too. Come on. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, buddy. Let, let's get a start off here. Uh, appara- sure. Apparently, an officer in the United States military has been reprimanded for reporting a UFO to the UAP task force. Well, this goes against everything that we're hearing. What's going on here, Tim? Absolutely. And so Christopher Sharp from Liberation Times is bringing us this great article that was released yesterday. And so the U.S. Department of Defense has confirmed that the United States Air Force did not extend its uh, unidentified aerospace undersea phenomenon pilot program. And furthermore, the DOD has refused to directly address allegations that the USAF personnel were warned against participating with the UAP task force. And in another instance, interrogated by the Department of Air Force Office of Special Investigations, <clears throat> excuse me, the OSI, for participating in classified DOD chat room devoted UAP issues. So Liberation Times has also learned that new information about attempts by the USAF to crack down on officers attempting to coordinate and cooperate with the UAPTF and the Air Force was actually willing to participate on the topic before executing the 180-degree turn. So... We're seeing new information coming forward and some officers getting into trouble here with this topic. <clears throat> and so in June of 2021, the UAP preliminary assessment released by the UF, by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, including information regarding the USAF pilot program, report stated that although USAF data collection has been limited historically to the USAF, began a six-month pilot program in November of 2020 to collect in the most likely areas to encounter UAP and is evaluating how to normalize future collection, reporting, and analysis across the entire Air Force. So a little mixed information there. And then uh, to further details regarding the pilot program, Liberation Times reached out to the DOD directly 
<clears throat> and in response coordinated with the USAF, the DOD spokesperson Susan Goff provided information regarding the status and conclusions of the pilot program. And so furthering here, Goff confirmed that the program was not extended, meaning that it's been ended, and stating that the Air Force pilot program mentioned in the preliminary report to the Congress ended in the spring of 2021. And so quoting here, lessons learned from the pilots were used to improve support and the UAPTF will be used to contribute to efforts of the Aero program. And so if applicable, data gathered in the pilot program was provided through command channels to the UAPTF. So it looks like they're converting that program into what we're going to see coming forward with Aero. However, despite an apparent willingness to work with the UAPTF and its successor, the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, or ARO, a DOD source, has now made new claims on attempts by the USAF to undermine investigation efforts. In one instance, while the UAP task force was still the preliminary UAP interface for the DOD, a mid-grade Air Force officer was reprimanded and admonished by their chain of command for reaching out to the task force members independently. And so in this quote, it seems that the Air Force was willing to participate one day and the next it executed a complete 180 degree turn. Dave, this is incredibly frustrating and it must be even worse for a pilot. They don't know where to report and they don't know how to report. And then when they finally do, they have to deal with being reprimanded again by their higher-ups through the chain of command when they're just trying to do their due diligence to our country to report this to the task force that is reporting on this to Congress. We should all be shaking our heads. I mean, look, this pilot did nothing but follow orders. Nothing but follow orders. And I find this this troubling, much like you do, Tim, and I think anybody reading that article. Once again, great work by Christopher Sharp on on getting this story out. But it really goes to show the chaos that this story is covering within the, the hallowed grounds of the Pentagon and the United States uh, military. I mean, where's the Joint Chiefs of Staff in this? I mean, this pilot did nothing wrong. Nothing. Okay? This pilot is fully trained, has... has trained his or her entire life for to become a fighter pilot and and defend the constitution and the people of the United States of America and to be thrown under the bus by your branch of military because you saw a UFO and you reported it to the task force which is supposed to not give you any troubles, which is, you know, outside of an executive order, has been highly promoted by anybody within the armed services or airlines to report. So you do that, and now they're reprimanding you. When pilots get reprimanded in the military, that usually means they either get uh, their their rank downgraded, they lose their wings and get a desk job, get transferred out. It's not like, you know, uh, the union where, you know, you may get a couple of days off without pay and that's it. You lose your life 
your career on this. And that's sad that in 2022 that this pilot has to go through this because he or she eyewitnessed something anomalous and did what was right. That's a court case to me. But if it goes to court, the pilot's career is over anyways. Terrible. It's incredibly frustrating. Incredibly frustrating, but a very well-timed article coming out on, you know, yesterday, right before Veterans Day, when we should be celebrating the people in the military. Here we are discarding their evidence and their reporting. And there's really no other way for them to report it other than through the design chains that have been set up for them. Absolutely. Oh, that's frustrating. We're going to continue on with the UFO report here with Tim Senor. Coming up next, UAPX heading to Congress and Lou Elizondo back in the news. We'll be back with more Spaced Out Radio when we return on the Mighty SOR. I feel horrible for that pilot. I do. Yeah. 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 Absolutely agree with you. And the thing is, though, we all know somebody like this, right? Potentially. You know, I'm pretty close to some of these guys that are reporting that stuff. And it's heartbreaking to think that they could have any repercussions for it. Fortunately, some of the guys I know have already retired. But I can't really imagine having to report this and then sit there and have to wait for that phone to ring, wondering if you're going to get a call to be reprimanded or have to deal with it. You know, the re- the backlash that's incredibly frustrating. And then who knows what they're going to do with that information and who you're going to have to answer to. It's probably scary to report, oh, you know, yeah. it's a tough time right now. It's a really tough time. I hope that this turns out well, and hopefully this publicity will help because I think an article like this shedding the light on how they're being treated unfairly um, will help. You know, there is no winner here. There is no winner here. And the big machine gets to do what they want. Right. And, and the same rate, the more publicity this article gets, the more fear it's going to strike into pilots that it's going to make them not want to report. And it seems like this is all fueled, you know, the same thing. They, they fuel it one way and then they fuel it another way. And it's very disheartening to see that. And so, again, you know, it, it seems like the same thing we're seeing in every department right now where they're pulling back. And, I mean, what is the message if we're feeling that the, the ebb, you know, we're not in the flow portion, we're in the ebb. What does that mean if that's happening right before elections? Uh, you know, it. it Perhaps is, it could be related to that, that it's, you know, popular a certain way. Um, it's frustrating. It's frustrating that it's politically fueled. Very frustrating. Very frustrating. You know, I feel horrible for the guy. Yeah. Or girl, whatever. It was. How long do we have? Uh, we got about uh, three minutes. Cool. I have a quick one for you. Ready? So one of the first NASA missions out into space included a dog named Laika, correct? And Laika never came back to the Earth in this. This was um, an expedition to see 
what was out there, one of the early. Am I correct? So Laika the dog went out into space and never came back. And so my question to you is imagine if aliens came across that first mission to space, finding Laika the dog in the space capsule and thinking all earthlings are dogs and wondering how this creature figured out space travel when it just runs around shitting. Sorry to swear, but we're, we're not actually live. But what are your thoughts there? Isn't that absolutely a horrible thought? If they think earthlings are puppy dogs and they just find a carcass, they're like, how did it work the controls? And how did it build it? And I'm sure they've been here enough to see what dogs are. <laughs> But either way, wouldn't they think it would be bizarre? Let's just say that that was their first interpretation. It would be just out there. Oh, I hear you. This uh, is where my brain goes at night. <laughs> oh, my Poor brain, Laika. My brain goes all over the place. All over the place. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a fun one to bounce off family members. Oh, everyone should be watching Graham Hancock's new series on Netflix, also called Ancient Apocalypse. Uh, he takes a new look at history, and it's really great, you know, Hancock style. Go check it out. I think it was released today, in fact. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. We got about one minute here. Beautiful. Hi, Aiden. How you doing? How have you been, Dave? How was your day? I had a great day today. Great day today. Awesome. Hanging out with my boy. Doing our stuff. Uh, he's got hockey tomorrow. And... Uh, I look forward to that because that's always fun. And very cool. Yeah, I actually I'll save this. I'll save this for after the show. Ask me to remind you about his hockey coach. Okay, I'll stick around after for that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's got some intriguing it's... stuff. Good things. Yeah. You're, you're feeling positive. Yeah. Good. Hi, good, Studio Forty Two. you have your concern. Yeah, no good stuff. Great. Good. You're pissing me off, Evan Walters. <laughs> Here we go. third we're heading for home tonight on spaced out radio thank you so much for joining us very much appreciate it want to remind you that if you've missed most of this show or others check out our free archives by going to youtube.com forward slash spaced out radio do old davy the favor hit that subscribe button our website is spacedoutradio.com. we have a plethora of features for you rock out to bumblefoot read shirky poos newswire Check out our swag as well. Follow us on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio, Instagram at Spaced Out Radio Show, and on TikTok at Spaced Out Radio. We continue on with the UFO report with little Timmy Senor. We call him the Timbit around here. 
And our good friends at UAPX are apparently about to go to Congress. What's this about? Yeah, and so the UAPX offers a sneak peek at their UAP briefing that they're going to be giving to the Congressional Committee. And so uh, let's just go ahead and dive right into this. So John Greenwald from the Black Vault has some of the information that was revealed in that meeting between UAPX and Congress. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And so does Congress have to rely on the U.S. military to give them answers about UFOs? Well, one group thinks that there are more. Liven up your next outdoor party with Orca's Teeny and Barrel Drinkware. They're perfect for pool parties, the beach, or sitting by the fire pit. The Teeny is a stainless steel martini cup that keeps your drink icy cold for hours and comes in a variety of gorgeous colors and designs unique to Orca. The stainless steel barrel tumbler looks like you're drinking out of an oak wood cask. Perfect for whiskey lovers. Go to orcacoolers.com and use promo code 15 for 15% off your order. That's orcacoolers.com, promo code 15. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Options on the table, and they believe they could absolutely fill the role with more efficiency and reliability than the military. The question is, will Congress take them up on it? So as the world awaits the second but now late two-week-late public UFO UAP report published by the government, a different development has unfolded this week behind the scenes. For months, a group that specializes in investigating the phenomenon and providing direct access to the general public of reviewed and analyzed data has been preparing a private briefing about UFOs to the Intelligence and Special Operations Subcommittee of the House Armed Services Committee. And so that briefing was given this last Wednesday, and the group has offered the Black Vault an exclusive exclusive inside look at all that went down. So they're known as UAPX Inc., and according to their website, they bring together a global network of researchers, physicists, scientists, trained observers, engineers, enthusiasts, communities, and individuals dedicated to the scientific method in studying unknown aerial phenomenon. And so the group members consisting of uh, Gary Voorhees, Jeremy McGowan, Dr. Kevin Knuth, Dr. Matthew Zadakis, and Dr. Cecilia Levy have reached out and to the Armed Services Committee for a comment and interacted with them, giving them a briefing on what they've been doing since the uh, foundation of this committee. So um, as I brief down through this, it goes through explaining that they had a 45-minute virtual conference room setting where the UAP team was able to go over their capabilities and findings from their past expeditions, all laid out in a nine-slide PowerPoint presentation. And so if you're interested, you can go to see these actual two slides that were sampled given to Black Vault with the exclusive right to disseminate the two slides utilizing that in that briefing. 
And so it's exciting to see some of the information and capabilities that they're using. Um, they definitely go for in-field monitoring and remote and manned operational instrumentation and development and testing. They do development of artificial intelligence tracking and algorithms, along with analysis of UAP data and imagery. They do isotopic analysis to determine origin and provenance of materials, along with scientific publication of data analysis results. So it's pretty exciting. I am super stoked to hear that there's independent groups like this presenting directly to Congress. That is the dream because you know that the more independent information we get from reliable sources that can be corroborated by independent and uh, interested parties, the better. Dave, well, what are your thoughts on this? Well, first off, UAPX did a great job on their documentary with Caroline Corey at a, a Tear in the Sky. It was it was fantastic. Work. It was stellar work. You know, I know there's also been some controversy surrounding UAPX with you know some of the people that they've let go, other people who uh, are not fans of Jeremy McGowan. Uh, on that team, Jeremy is a little bit of a mouthpiece who, uh, and I mean that in a good way when I say a mouthpiece, who recently yeah. uh, wrote a, a a series of four blogs that really, really, uh, uh, how can you put it, uh, turn the tides against. Change the game, Well, I, I mean, would say. You know, he had some game-changing insight and from, and insight regarding as to the, how to split this out. Yeah, regarding Lou Elizondo and Sean Cahill. Oh. It, was, it wasn't pretty. Okay. It really wasn't. I didn't know about that. Okay. Yeah, it really wasn't pretty, but that was his truth that he felt he was speaking. And so the idea behind everything is this. You know, this is a group that has great scientists, okay, in uh, Kevin Knuth and Matthew Sudeikis. I'm not familiar with the other lady as of yet, you know, but I'm sure that'll come through. But you know what? They're nuts and bolts, and that's what Congress is wanting to hear right now. I think they'll be great for Congress. I really do, um, and uh, go from there. I don't really have. I really don't have much more to say about it because uh, I think the congressional hearings, unless you're getting into the truth of the matter, is a waste of bloody time. I do. Right. Um, potentially. Well, here's the thing. What I love about it is that they went in with a clear PowerPoint presentation, right? There's no wiggle room there. You know, they're very clear and definitive. If you're going to present, go prepared, right? In our public hearing, we saw them scrambling for information. We don't want that, right? We want to look prepared. And so this group came prepared, delivered. I love it. Can't be better. Now, next time they meet with them, they'll have more. Uh, I think, you know, a regular delivery from the public, you know, I think that's great. Why not be represented in one way or another at in Congress, right? I just think that's a great mouthpiece for us because things do happen there, right? Uh, we know that. Um, and we don't want this narrative to be controlled by people trying to sway funding or sway a political position through this topic, right? And so we need people like this independently keeping it on track, making sure that Congress understands this isn't about spending money. This is about dealing with a topic. Are you with me on that? Uh, I, I am. You know, I, I think you're right. I'm just not convinced anymore, Tim, after what we've seen over the last little bit. 
I'm just not convinced that anything that is going on is for the betterment of not only the public, but UFOs. I'm not convinced anymore. Really not. What would be your ideal way to disseminate something like this then? You wouldn't even bother going to Congress or presenting it to your government. You would like to just disseminate it directly to the public, let them decide? Well, well we, have to, we have to remember here, okay? There's two, uh, Tim, there's, there's two different uh, congressional hearings. You have what is coming out in public and you have what the truth is once they go closed doors. Okay, the, yeah. the rest of it, you know, what we're going to see in the public hearings is garbage. We saw that in June. All right. right. And to me, where I worry about groups like UAPX, no offense to Gary Voorhees, who's a great fan of this show, a great friend of this show, has a fantastic beard and mustache combination. Okay. <laughs> the, Indeed. One, the, the one thing that I worry about is is we see a bunch of agendas about science yet science is really doing nothing about this as of yet. Okay. Avi Loeb seems to be on hold with Galileo. Uh, Other scientific studies that are being done are really being kept out of the public eye, whether it's Gary Dolan, whether it's uh, the team at Rice university, uh, you know, who are studying the effects of, of uh, the phenomena. We know that other groups out there, you know, are, are pushing a threat narrative, you know, in order to get funding. We have people who are working both sides of the ledger saying they're pro-disclosure, but in the meantime are contractors to Space Force. I mean, man, when I started in this field, Tim, so many people stated how how infiltrated the UFO world was with spooks, with with people trying and scientists and everything. And they were right. They were completely right. And to be frank, I don't know what to trust. And right. it's hard for me to tell our audience who is relying on us to bring truth to what is going on? How do I tell my audience what the truth is when I don't even know what the truth is anymore? The only real truth that I see is from experiencers themselves. And this is where you and I will agree to disagree. Yeah. This subject is really tough to come up with deliverables on, right? And it's definitely, even when you do have them, it's hard to present it in a clear way that proves anything one way or another. So it is a really tricky topic. And so I do see massive benefit in getting some scientists that are able to prove it in a way that makes sense to that side of the public. But we need it to be also expressed to Congress in a way that can be expressed by their opinion. I would say it's, I see exactly where you're going with this and your frustration but I still feel like the fight to get it in the Congress and get it in it. I don't think that anyone's been impressed there yet. Otherwise there wouldn't be these questions still lingering. They mustn't have the data. And so they need to get the right data presented clearly by not just the military, but 
we want to see all the videos. If you want to see all the videos, you'll get them from UAPX much quicker than you will from the Navy at this point, right? Or these independent oh, people that are hey, doing these studies. Independent people who are doing it, we're going to have to rely on them. You can't trust anybody in the government on it. You, you just can't. If they have government affiliation, you can't trust them. You can't. Hate to say it. Yeah. It's sad, but that's the reality. Let's go to story number three tonight. That'll probably take us to the top of the hour on everything. Lou Elizondo, ex-Pentagon agent, claiming UFOs change witnesses' brain, unlocking a sixth sense. Yeah. So the reality of the UAP phenomenon is larger than just non-human crafts flying with incredible speed through the air and through the water. But reportedly, there are incidents where UFOs were noticed interacting with nuclear arsenals in the United States and other countries, shutting down nuclear missiles. It is well acknowledged that the U.S. Defense Department that whatever this phenomenon is, it is a serious concern to national security. And so, moreover, instead of disabling nukes, UFOs has severely affected the witnesses biologically and physically. And so now we have all kinds of people looking into this, including award-winning journalist Linda Moulton Howe, who held special interview with former ATIP head of head Louise Elizondo on surpassing her uh, current subscribership into the hundreds of thousands. And so she asked Elizondo audacious questions regarding the phenomenon and its effect on the human body. Mr. Elizondo briefed on the previously known facts that UFOs interfered with electrical and nuclear systems and that there are unique physical effects for witnesses after those close encounters. First of all, not going into depth due to protocols, Mr. Elizondo revealed that alleged incidents happened in the 70s where UFOs knocked an entire nuclear-powered aircraft offline for some time. This revelation was made in a talk where Elizondo outlined why the world's governments have been so secretive about these objects and why they consider them a potential security threat. Secondly, the UFO impacted consciousness of the individual in this 2021 Stanford professor said that, and we all know Gary Nolan in this case, some of their UFO contactee brains were horribly, horribly damaged. And furthering this quote, he was approached by a CIA-led group member that showed him MRI scans of the people injured by the fields generated by UFO, and the presence of the brain trauma was evident. So it has been reported that some pilots and others who have had close encounters with UFOs experienced radiation burns and negative mental damage. However, Mr. Elizondo told Linda Howe that he was equally astonished by certain instances where exposed individuals experienced good side effects after coming into touch. He said there's also some preliminary data that suggests that some individuals actually report the opposite. So rather than having some sort of negative biological consequence, all of a sudden you have somebody who's now, for example, a piano virtuoso or so, you know, somebody who has never sat in front of a piano before now has incredible talent or now becomes suddenly super artistic or who claims to have some sort of extrasensory capabilities or talents now, if you will, or a sixth sense. So Dave, Lou's been talking about these extrasensories, 
uh, and special abilities and things that have been given to people as gifts, not just the uh, negative side. I find that very interesting. Let's hear your opinion on this. I'm ready. Everybody who has become a multiple experiencer with the phenomena and is opened up to it has become intuitive. Every single one. Okay. Hmm. Elizondo, 100% telling the truth on that. Telling the truth. And I know for myself, the minute I had my experience in 2011 with my mother, within days, I was telling my friend she was going to date a famous rock star. 11 months later, they started dating. Never met the guy. Never saw the guy. Didn't even know who he was until I saw him on stage. Okay? That's just an example for me. There's a lot of people out there that we have talked to over the years on this show that something happened between twenty late 2010 and 2013, 20, early 2014 that opened up this phenomena to a lot of people. And most of them, if not all of them, have become intuitive to a point that they have to accept the fact that they are getting premonitions or they are uh, seeing things happen or they're able to talk to the deceased or communicate with aliens or Bigfoot or whomever. That is truthful. Elizondo is bang on. You know, the one thing that Elizondo has always tried to be uh, careful of is how much woo he brings to the table because he doesn't believe that that many people are ready for that type of phenomena to uh, or the woo. They're not going to believe or take seriously what is really going on with humanity as they open up spiritually. And I think that him going on with Linda Moulton Howe, having a serious discussion about this, is great. Is great. Because Lou is an experiencer. Lou has remote viewing capabilities. Lou is, from what I hear, highly intuitive. Highly intuitive. But he can't come out and admit that. Because everything that he does is a step-by-step course. Okay? It's a step-by-step course on opening up the door to this subject. We, as people who are involved in this, Tim, we may not be... What's the word I'm looking for? We may not be in agreement of it, because we want everything now. We're like, okay, lose your experience or great. What is it? Try and tell that to somebody in Congress who's still thinking swamp gas exists. Like that old fart the last time uh, there was congressional hearings. All right. So my opinion, Elizondo is bang on. Those who are in tune would agree with that, especially those who have opened up in the last decade. 
Yeah, I, I did look into some of Gary Nolan's results, and there is information available out there on his uh, demonstrating that there's a part of the brain called the called Claude Potamin. I think my pronunciation is wrong, but it's a part of the brain that can be affected potentially by interaction with UFO, close contact, supposedly. Um, and I find that very interesting. What I was a little bummed about was that the only place I could find his results was through um, basically a medical journal that I had to pay for to read. And it was kind of expensive, surprisingly. Now, I don't know if it's other places or not, but it was the only place I could find it. Um, But again, the fact that it is out there for the public, that's important. And the results, I think, are as important as the research, because unless the public knows the results, there's no point in the research. So I'm very excited to see that Elizondo was willing to kind of bend the rules and talk a little bit, a little fringe, a little outside of the box, which is not usual for him. But the breadcrumbs are very interesting because I've also heard lots of reports of these abilities being unlocked. However, on the other side of that coin, I've also seen how, for example, in Rendlesham Forest, those up-close-and-personal events really did some damage. And so, you know, we don't want to highlight the negative, but it's great to see him highlighting the positive. I love it. I love it. We need more of that. Tim Senor, thank you for a great UFO report. Very much appreciate you coming on in. Thank you so much to Bill Kasulas for a great show on Mothman Swamp Dweller as well as we get ready to say goodnight to you all. We got Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thaw rocking in the background with Little Brother is watching. Bumblefoot is the official music of Spaced Out Radio. Rocking us in and out of every single show. Get your horns up for the guitar god himself. Special thanks to everybody sitting at home, at work, in your cars, wherever you may be. Thank you to everyone in our chat rooms tonight. Spreaker, Twitch, YouTube, LGAP, Facebook, the Space Travelers Club, and on Twitter at Spaced Out Radio. Remember, this show is copyright by Space Down Radio and SOR Media Ventures Limited. Thank you so much for choosing to share your evening with us. Because together, my friends, we're watching. We own the night. Mr. Bumblefoot, we need a favor. We need you to take us home. Yes, the Wu train has docked for the night. But soon, my friends, we shall ride again. Your seats are always available. Your tickets never expire. And if you want to bring a friend, we've got room for them, too. Good night.
Did you know headlights dim over time? You can lose up to 50 feet of visibility before burnout. Stop in to replace yours at Advance Auto Parts, your dependable source for auto lighting today. Snag a new pair of Sylvania Silver Star Ultra Bulbs and brighten up those darker fall and winter nights. Switch today, see better tonight. And don't forget to replace your wiper blades and change your oil to ensure you're prepared to hit the road. Only at Advance Auto Parts and participating CarQuest locations. See store for details. This is how we advance. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.